Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I'm your host, DM Mitch, and this week, Chris is not with us once again. Ah, we're so sad Chris is not with us, but he'll he'll be back this upcoming week, this upcoming episode. But we do have a special guest with us here today. He's been on some of our bonus pods before. You've heard his voice uh, on our beautiful Christmas episode a while ago, but he hasn't joined us as a specific guest to a show Today, we're joined by Paladin Caleb. Hey, Paladin Caleb. Say hi. Hey, DM Mitch. How's it going? Hey, guys. <laughs> I'm doing really good, and I will answer for them. They're all doing fantastic because they're listening to the Dungeon Masters. Of blog. course, of course. <laughs> Caleb is here, Paladin Caleb, and if you don't remember Paladin Caleb, we call him Paladin Caleb. Why, Caleb? Because I'm a paladin, even, in, when, even when I don't play a paladin. In real life, you are pretty much a paladin. <laughs> Caleb is here. Paladin Caleb's here today because today... We are talking about all things Paladin. We are going to talk about so how... So all the best things, basically. All the best things. Uh, so we're going to talk about how you as a DM, with especially with your relationship with players, how do you help your player to play a good Paladin? And we're going to just answer a ton of questions that have to do with how do I as the DM deal with Paladins, run Paladins as NPCs, run Paladin orders, all that, like you said, Paladin Caleb, all the best stuff. <laughs> Before we jump into that, the meat and story time and all that great stuff, we have some five-star reviews. So the first five-star review we have is from Kissel Rasha, and it's entitled Providing the Spark. So far with the episodes I've listened to, I've had a few sparks lit that have reignited a desire to homebrew a world rather than using someone else's. That's awesome. While I play Pathfinder rather than D&D itself, and while I venture into other systems like Eclipse Phase, this podcast has plenty of useful thoughts and ideas to fan the creative flames. Thanks, folks. You're welcome, Kissel. We're really glad that you have this desire now to make a homebrew world. That's something that we're trying to give you the listeners so i hope that that homebrew world is coming along great and we'd love to hear from you about that i feel, I feel like that guy has a crush on you guys there's a lot of like romantic <laughs> metaphors in that review like, I don't oh know. you don't even know there was this one uh, <laughs> review a while ago that called dm chris like she or he or whatever it was said that they had a good looking sounding voice <laughs> wow i can't imagine who would say such a thing but i know that chris is an awfully good looking guy so <laughs> Our next review is fr- is from Zystars. It is titled Discovered by an Old Guy. He says, So I have been doing the DMGM thing since I was 12 years old, many, many moons ago. I've never run into a group of guys that seem to really care for the game as much as the hosts of this show. Aww. They are knowledgeable and intelligent, Aww. not necessarily the same thing, as well <laughs> as entertaining. The show has motivated me to build a world of my own and have the player's actions, if momentous, make a mark on the world. Nice. I've just finished up a campaign that saw players reaching level 20 in D&D 5e with the epic battle featuring the Tarrasque and the Demolic, because story. <laughs> I look forward to probably getting completely caught up in the next week because I have a trip to Vegas and then to Washington State from Colorado coming up. 
good times and keep it on. We're going to keep it on just for you, Zystars. <laughs> Thank Stars. you so much, Zystars. And that was a review from a while back, so I'm hoping you're caught up by now. <laughs> so thank you so much. And I'm really excited. He's trying to make a homebrew world, too. That's awesome. Tarask and Demulus. That's, that's some crazy story right there. Our next review comes from Skidrix, and Skidrix, in his review is entitled Dungeon Master's Block Tacular, which I love. Skidrix says, ideas are the gold coins of dungeon mastering. No matter how many you have, it's always good to have a few more. The Dungeon Master's Block podcast is a fountain of gold, so dive in and take whatever you need. Even if you don't end up using every one of their ideas at your table, the host's infectious enthusiasm um, they're so nice everybody's so nice I love our fans <laughs> for the craft will make you want to forever stay the most important person in the game this is great the only person capable of playing God killing characters and lowering the egos of all their people at the table and your and your fans are so articulate <laughs> they're too, awesome like. <laughs> thank you Ski Drinks. we appreciate that so much the last review is from Farmer DM Aaron. I think I may have given this one to you guys actually, because I, I I met you? a guy and I met a guy in not the specific review, but this guy. <laughs> like I met a guy. In, oh yeah. I met a guy in Chicago at Eaton. Was it in Chicago? Yeah. I met a guy in Chicago. Oh, yeah, you told me at about ETS, this. and, I, and his, his name was Aaron. So this oh, might be him. That'd be sweet. Um, well, say hi to him if it is him, and if, if he's not, you, you say Aaron, hi to him anyway. If this is you, Aaron. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it is Aaron. Either <laughs> way, but yeah, it might true. not be the one that's, you met. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Farmer DM Aaron says, "I've been a player and DM for six plus years now and i've just gotten into many dm podcasts this one is definitely one of the best yay i get so many campaign ideas from listening that i won't ever be able to play enough to implement half of them thanks and keep it up (laughs) thanks dm aaron whether you're the aaron that caleb met or not we appreciate it well with that let's head to story time story time the time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, what we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. All right, so with Chris gone this week, Caleb, this week we took a break, which we've been doing a lot lately from our normal campaigns, but we're getting back into them next week. So Can't we're excited. Yeah, we're excited to get back into them. But this past week was really fun. We decided we're going to do something different. And so I decided I've been working on this space, D&D in space setting, like different than Atos, D&D in space. And so we decided, well, let's play one shot and try D&D in space out. And so that's exactly what we did. And so your characters were, uh, there was a bunch of you guys. Basically, we had 2NE1, which was a Warforged. We had Castle, which was an Enting, which was basically, he was like Groot. Groot, (laughs) Except he didn't just say, I am Castle. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Then we had Xylocient, which was a Moon Elf. We had Tarek. The cyber orc. He is not a gem paladin thing. <laughs> and we had Muldoon, who was a kobold. And then we had you. You were Carl, and you were a human. <laughs> yep. So, uh, human Carl. Carl! 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 Carl. 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 Yeah, so we, we kind of took base classes and 
took them and changed some things to make them more space agey and stuff like that. But you guys started out and you were on a space station that was owned by the Orc Corporation or retrieval and commercialization. And the space station had this this lift that it was it was in outer space, obviously space station, but this lift went from the space station to the planet below of Rorim that was a dangerous planet, but it had this really precious ore that the Orc Corporation was mining for, and it was the it's the ore that I haven't really done a lot with like the lore in this world, but I decided that this ore is very valuable. It allows faster than light space travel. And the players started to refer to this just as unobtainium, yeah. like like from Avatar, not yes. not not the bad movie based on the good TV show. Yes. The, the the one with the blue guys. <laughs> the bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> the other bad Avatar. It's movie. a matter of opinion. That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you guys were split into groups. Some of you were in this command center, and some of you were going down to the planet as protection for these miners because there were dangerous creatures on the planet. And so you were part of the group that was protecting the miners. You guys got into this lift. You were the last group going down. And so the lift started. You guys got to get fastened in because this thing goes really fast. It's a long trip between space and the planet surface. So you get strapped in and it's just we were joking. It was like Tower of Terror from like Disney. Just like ah! to, to the nth degree. Yeah. <laughs> you guys start going down all of a sudden in the command center where a couple of the other characters are there's this beeping going on and it's not coming from the the lift itself it's coming from like something's entered into the atmosphere now this station is not a war station but it's got some defenses because you know cosmic dragons and uh, and like just <laughs> it's a it's, there's a lot of money invested in this yeah. want to protect us got to protect it but what happened was not something that they were prepared for this this mind flayer ship appears out of nowhere a mind flayer dreadnought ship and i took a, a lot of ideas and inspiration from if you know that old setting spelljammer there are mind flayer ships in that and so the mind flayer ships that you guys were fighting are from spelljammer and so this dreadnought comes in and it shoots a laser that goes right to the lift and it cuts it off between the planet and so it blows it up and you guys are careening down yeah. to the surface and through so, this yeah and so if you guys if you guys keep going you're going to pop out the end and just float through space until you hit the atmosphere and just fall and die <laughs> so right away i'm going down in a blaze <laughs> of glory right away muldoon hits emergency stop you guys stop right at the edge you guys there's no windows you guys don't know what's going on you just realize lift has stopped something's wrong all of our stomachs just dropped yeah <laughs> like it screeched stop so it wasn't like this is not normal this is not the amount of time it takes usually we're all like lying in the floor and i take like five <laughs> minutes to get the strength yeah, to get up what is going on right now and so you feel it then start to go back up and you're like what's going on well while this is going on the dreadnought stops starts letting out all these other ships and a lot of them start fighting with the orc gunner ships they are like the commander says, go fight. And so they go out and there's this space battle going on. You guys are totally outnumbered. Like I said, not a military station, but it does have some defense. And so totally outgunned. Then these small pods come right at the space station and start like hitting into the space station and they're burrowing into the space station hull. One of them hits near the command center and out comes mind flares they go up to the door. The door is closed. They're just staring at the camera. 
they take over the mind of one of our players and make him open the door. And then they walk away. And then they walk away. And so the characters are like ready to shoot. And they're just like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> and all of a sudden, these creatures come out from the pods. They're these small insectoid-like creatures. Uh, they're just running around. They're just crawling on the walls. And they all seem to have these weird abilities. And all the ones there that your characters are fighting are turning off any electricity around. They basically have this EMP like pulse thing going on. And these creatures are slivers from magic. We talked about them in a previous episode. And so I decided these things would be great for space alien creatures. So I have this chart and you roll a D 20 and there's 20 different types of things that these slivers can get. And you pick one sliver and I I had tokens and I marked them with like, this one has this power. So if you killed that one, I'd see the thing and go, they all lose this power and such like that. But they just, they started this big battle well, one of the characters in the command center dropped, like, is ready to run up, throw a grenade into the burrowing ship to kill the mind flayers. He runs up; they're ready to hit him. They hit him with a mind blast. He's stunned. He's stunned drops with a grenade. grenade. Yeah, drops the grenade. Grenade goes off. They're all sucked out into space. The Kabold, who's the only one who wouldn't survive this, runs. Hits the elevator, gets in, starts going down to where you guys are. You guys have come back up on the lift, and you guys come out, and what do you see? Everything's kind of in chaos. Like there's there's dead there's some dead people around. There's not we yep. don't see any slivers at this point. We just kind of see You're just like what is once like, again and we know what's alarms going, on. going off. Like we we got stopped and we're back up. We have no idea what's going on. There's no reason any of this should be happening. This is just a simple excavating base. But you're like, you hear the alarms, and so you're like, all right. We should probably get to the escape pods. We don't. There's no announcements going on, so you decide to do that. Actually, actually I think originally we decided to to try and go to the command center so we could figure out what oh, was going yeah, on. Oh yeah, you did. And then when we when we went to the elevator to get to the command center to get to the other part of the space station, yep. um, at that point we got we got a, something. I don't know if it was part of our interaction. It was mm-hmm. we like, we tried to communicate with the command station yeah, you're first. Like, Let us up. From like, the, yeah, we'll help out. And uh, and then and and they said it came back all fuzzy and everything, but it was like. Get to the escape pods. Yeah, Get you to the heard one pods. guy screaming like, no, you can't come up. They're up here. They're killing us. Run. Get to the escape pods. Yeah, and you guys. So we were like, trying to go okay. to the escape pods. <laughs> but we chose the wrong direction. Yes. <laughs> and you chose a direction where there were tons of slivers. They, too, had this EMP power just putting things out. So you guys are fighting in darkness. And it actually worked out really well for you guys because one of the other powers that they got was this paralyzing stare. Which they can't do to you when you're in darkness. So nice. it actually turned out pretty well that you were in darkness. It might have been worse. But anyway, so you got you guys start fighting these slivers. Up top of the command center, the the cabal the cabal character starts going down the elevator and then hits the point where the EMP was working and his elevator stops. The other two characters were the Warforged and the Cybernetic Orc, who doesn't have any longer. He has robotic lungs. Like, he doesn't have regular lungs. So he's floating out in space, stunned, but he's attached himself before he was stunned. He attached himself in case it blew up to the command deck. And so he's hanging out in space from this long rope. The Warforged gets back into the space station that's now open to the outer space and no gravity and everything. He starts pulling them back in. They're able to see kind of on some of the video cameras are still working. So they survived this craziness. And so some of the video cameras are still working. They're able to see, okay, there's this spot and this spot. And these there's slivers all over. They're killing people. 
there's a couple ships still left. We have to figure out what's going on. They see that something's covering the escape pods windows. Like they can't, something's wrong with the escape pods. Nobody's able to escape. So they head down. You guys all meet up again. You guys go to this defense tower and, once again, huge sliver battle. Even uh, bigger sliver even battle. Even bi- bigger. These I think every time flying. we found slivers, I almost died. Like yeah. every time, like, and the second time it was really close. Like I was. <laughs> yes, I made I made it difficult, and I, I I made these slivers, and I was like, wow, these things, especially depending on what I'd roll, it was like, oh man, this stuff stacks really really crazy. Like these things have adamantium plating now, and they have regeneration together. Oh, that does not work well. Oh jeez, it was like it was. Some of them were just horrible. Uh, but so you 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 did win that battle you get to the med bay you're able to find some more like stim packs instead of health potions you're able to heal up a little bit you run through these apartments you're trying to find like survivors you were able to find two little kids this one janitor named joe at joe the janitor <laughs> sorry custodian uh and then you were able to find a poodle as well so yes, yes we found uh, you're like all right we're saving these guys come with us and so you make your way to the other defense tower that you know has a spaceship still. Yep. It's a gunner ship. It only has two spots available to go in, but you're like, we we got to figure out what's wrong with those escape pods. Because yep. you try to go to the escape pods, they wouldn't work. Your character's good at using a gun. Yep. You get in. One of the characters able to pilot gets in. Yep, you that was fly the, out. Uh, the moon elf. The, yeah. Yep. Casil, I think. And so you guys are like against all odds trying to just get to the escape pods, figure out what's, what's wrong, what's holding them back from the outside. And you see these giant like space squids that yep. have attached themselves to the space station. Yeah. So tell me, tell us about that battle a little bit. Well, I mean, these, these squids are covering all the escape pods. They're like the three groups of escape pods, and each one of them has one squid on it that's covering the whole section of escape pods and uh, preventing any of them from leaving. So we, we fly out of there, and uh, one of the other guys, uh, Tarek, was pretty good with guns, and so he went up in the defense tower and, and, and manned the big gun, and I manned the gun on the ship. So he's he's shooting the ships while we go out there and try and try and shoot all the squids off of the off the escape pods. After we kind of maneuver our way out of the field of enemy ships, fighter ships that are flying around out there. And while all that's happening inside, the guys inside are kind of protecting Tarek at the gun, and they've they've got another giant troll that's come in. Yeah, you with guys a bunch have of slivers. one big troll big cave troll coming after them and they're one of their characters has a rocket launcher and so he's just like shoot him <laughs> like attack well slivers are coming just this crazy battle which ended with Tarek having to turn the gun on him and shoot the deck <laughs> and then the troll crushes the gun and Tarek yeah. and unfortunately the troll also killed the kids and joe and yes. the poodle yes <laughs> well Squished. no didn't kill the kids the kids were able to be revived yay kids are alive <laughs> but he squished but joe, joe is dead and joe and the poodle <laughs> and the poodle the, the poodle dead. was a puddle yes <laughs> but yeah while that's happening you guys are battling did you get all the squids because there's three escape well, pod well, entrances and and that's the thing like we we kind of we killed one of the squids but yep. about about that time as we're kind of flying back um, we'd taken some hits from the fighters, and we no longer had the support of the he- of the big gun. And your shields um, are gone and from our, the and, ship. And our shields are gone from the ship. We're down. The ship hasn't been damaged much so far, but the shields are gone. Basically, we, you're at I, the point I, I where got, we killed one of the squids, and we, I had gotten I got gotten a shot off of another squid. It looked like I could probably get it with another shot, 
but Zelo sent was, was was piloting, and he was and he was like, "No, we gotta get it. We gotta get in, or we're gonna die." Because basically, so, you you were at this point where you're like, your character wanted to go and shoot the other squids. Yes, exactly. Because you're like, maybe there's people still alive that can't get out. And at the very least, I wanted to I wanted to finish off this squid. Like I figured, if we stayed out here for just a few more seconds, we could finish off that squid, and then we could dock, and then there would be two sets of escape pods that that people could get to to save themselves. But with your damaged ship and more and more mind flares ships coming in. If you had stayed out there, you both were of the mindset that you were probably going to die. At that point, it wasn't like at that point it wasn't like we're probably going to die. Like I, I, I figured we could pretty safely get one more shot off at this squid to kill it and then get in and dock. Yeah. And we could we'd have two things. We'd have two of them free. I'd love to have the third one free, but I, at that point I would have been willing to just yeah. go in and dock. But when Zeal Sent was trying to trying to go and go in and dock, I'm like, no, we got we got to go get that last squid. We got to go with that last squid. Or the, the second to last. And squid. he was yeah. like, dude, we got the we got our escape pod. Yeah. He's, free. he's like, we can get out now, so yeah. we're done. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, he was flying, so you had no control. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do so, anything about that. I so just you had guys to sit there both and landed, him. and like you guys are getting out of your pod. They're coming down from the the defense tower roof, leaving behind a crushed gun. Their shields were almost dead, like so they were almost shot by all these ships. And they come down, and you're both getting out of the ship. You're yelling at Zelosint. He's kind of just walking away from you, like, dude, I don't care. Like, He's I'm done. We're, I'm saving myself. You're like, no, we have to go back out there. You're trying to convince other characters, like, fly it. I'm not good at piloting. Yeah, the only other guy that I, that, that we that we know that I, that I know in the group is good as good at piloting is unconscious. Like he's yeah. slung over somebody's shoulder, he got hit by the troll, walked down the stairs. Like he was the, he's the guy that had the rocket launcher, and he got crushed by the troll right after he fired it. So I grab some of the stem packs from uh, from one of our one of actually from his pack, yeah. and start giving them to him so he'll, until he can snap to it. And then I try and convince him to uh, to, to pilot the ship. It's like if we can get out there just for a second to to finish off the squid we might save a hundred lives if, they, if there's people that are in that section of the heroes yeah it's like we can we can Even really make we a, die we can we make it be heroes and we can make a big difference to these people and uh and he was like he was like no I don't know. He, he's a security guard for the space station like he was in the tech area and he decided center. his character wasn't a coward from the start <laughs> I, for a second there it was almost like i thought that i had him but he was like yeah. no i can't do this and i was like <laughs> so carl decides that one way or another, he's going to do everything he can to try and finish off this one squid and see if he can save potentially a hundred or more lives if if, uh, if there's people that are still alive in that section of the space station. So he sneaks past a couple of mind flares that are there as their ships dock, and then they they walk out, out out of their ship. He waits for them to pass, and he goes back to the gunship that uh, that he, they were out in before. Again, Carl didn't really know how to pilot. Carl's your um, character. Yeah, my, car- my, my, sorry, my character was Carl. He didn't really know how to pilot. There was some thought of maybe trying to steal one of the alien ships as they hadn't been damaged yet they were probably <laughs> fine but that was just going to be even more difficult yes. and again i didn't know how to fly really at all so just do the for no longer than i was hoping to be out there probably going to die no matter which way i did it just try and be out there long enough to get that one squid off so take the pilot the, the ship that i know how to pilot ish sort of kind of <laughs> so flew out there did some kind of really mediocre maneuvering to kind of get around and and get aimed at the at the squid that was out there covering the the escape pods aimed at it just kind of set it moving at a moderate pace towards there while all the fighters are shooting at at me and so i just i get the ship aimed at it and then i really quick leave the wheel and run up to the to the gun deck just to try and get enough time to get one shot off before before we hit the thing and uh, I got one shot off, and as as I as I shoot it, and I, it it dies from that shot, and it starts falling off. And then by the time the sh- by, by the time my fighter ship 
kind of crashes into it. It's actually crashing into the dead corpse of the squid rather than the escape pod pods beneath. And you so, go and you go down like screaming, like yelling at this thing, ready to give your life to save potentially any people who are in these these escape pods and just this cool moment of like i just sacrificed myself to save people meanwhile inside after this happens the group splits off into two parties some of them go to the operations room where they know there's some highly volatile stuff in there that if something goes wrong it could set a chain reaction explode the whole station they're like we want to blow up this place kill every sliver, kill every mind flayer that's still in here. They are all of the mindset that everything is lost. Like, there's no way humans are living. We needed to escape. But first, let's blow these suckers up with us. So they do that. The other group goes to the pod and gets ready to escape. They have some trouble. They have to fight off some guys. But they're able to do that. They make it to the pod. A mind flayer is chasing them. Gets in the pod with them. There's this mind flare battle inside the pod. He turns the one guy who has like one point of health to fight the other guy. And it's this crazy battle. But one of them was a Warforged. And the mind flare wasn't able to do the things that he was normally able and to do. And he was the one that he was the one that had health, so yes. that was good. <laughs> and so they were able to kill the one that jumped on the escape pod with him, and they rocket off into space, and they see the space station behind them explode. So this crazy, we took him with us, and so now they're floating out in the escape pod with a distress signal, hoping that the Orc Corporation picks up their distress signal and picks them up. Meanwhile. Your character didn't die, actually. He didn't die. And, he, and we decided he might even be able to live in his current situation for maybe long enough to be rescued. So Who how knows? did he not die? He crashed into the squid. Yeah, he crashes into the into the squid. The ship doesn't explode or anything. Is the, the squid kind of pulls him off course from the escape pod itself. So it doesn't. He literally goes into the squid's like fleshy grossness. And piercing like, straight yep. through his dead Basically, corpse. Basically, your ship was stuck inside this dead squid, which hid your ship. And you're floating off, and your like cockpit went through the other end, so that you were actually able to look just and enough see. that I can like see just just yep. out through the guts and the and viscera. And you were and able everything. to see something that made your day. Yep, yep. As I as I looked out through the blood and guts of the space squid, I see uh, escape pod from from the from just where I just pulled the squid off of launch off into space, just hurtling <laughs> off at a million gazillion miles an hour. And you're like exclamation of yahoo like was was that like i am happy to be a dm in this moment (laughs) um and then so we go back and we we replay all that like stuff with the explosion and stuff like that and so you also then see another escape pod where you knew your friends were trying to leave from you see the space station blow up which rockets your squid into like a darth vader like tumble but now we're just like your character's floating around in space somewhere with a distress signal from his ship, hoping to be picked up from the Orc Corporation and maybe rub it in your friend's faces like, I saved people. <laughs> and I won't starve because I've got dead squid meat. I can eat sushi. <laughs> that's why we say that you're Paladin Caleb. That's why we say that you're Paladin Caleb, because even when you're not playing a Paladin, <laughs> somehow you're a Paladin <laughs> and you sac- you try to sacrifice yourself to save others. So we hope that you enjoyed that story of D&D in space. With that, let's get to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Copy that! Just a mouthful! No! <laughs> <laughs>
Alright, so for today on the meet, we are talking about all things paladins. And so, Caleb, you're here because you love paladins. You love all things paladins. We got Whoa. you a paladin shirt for your birthday. And yeah, we're going to talk about how, as a DM, you deal with paladins, how you can... This is going to be a little bit player side, too, is like, if you're a player and you're listening to this, we're going to talk about how do you roleplay as a paladin. So if you're a DM, take this as how do you roleplay a paladin as an NPC. If you're a player, take this as how do you roleplay a paladin. So, And it's also going to be a lot of how do you manage your exactly. paladin... Uh, your paladin player characters as a DM, because there's a lot of communication we're going to talk about too. So I think we need to right away talk about something that you hear a lot from people about paladins. I think a lot of people hear about paladins and we're talking about like DMing. And so I think a lot of DMs have this mindset of, I have a character that's playing a paladin. This is going to be bad. This is going to be annoying paladins are lawful stupid the first thing i ever learned about paladins the first thing i ever played was a paladin the first thing i ever learned about paladins was they're lawful stupid the d- yeah the that's d- what the you DM hear that was guiding me through this first character creation yep. was like paladins are lawful stupid yep. it'll be good for you <laughs> and so uh, that's what a lot of people think that is not how i or you believe paladins are nor and this is dm perspective this is player perspective that's not how paladins are meant to be played meant to be looked at and so the reality i think is that paladins beyond a lot of other class options they create a lot of opportunities yeah, a lot of role-playing opportunities as a dm if like as a dm who's really concerned with homebrew worlds like i love making homebrew worlds i work on i've basically made a book of deities in my world and like taking some actual deities changed them up to fit my world taking my own deities well as a dm involved with that kind of stuff i love it when a player picks a paladin because i know they're going to be really into their religion their follow their group their order and so it allows me with a player to take a deeper look into the world of a paladin. I believe when you first played with me as your DM, not I believe, I know you played as a paladin yes. of Heronius. And I think you and me had some points where we sat down and actually created this hierarchy. Yeah. Right? Of like the order of Heronius, like the paladin order of Heronius. And we made it so like you could rank up and get to different paladin yeah order points and we like had names for all of them we had like w- at, how many at that there point, were it wasn't quite that organized yet but yeah. that, like that but that existed it was pretty rough at yeah the time and, so we, yeah. and that was, but it was cool because the dm and the player together we worked on stuff like that and made lore for my world deeper together yep um, so that's something that can be so great for a pal and a dm to work together there's also side quest possibilities, yep. especially if you have a player who decides he wants to be part of an order or like at the very least, he's going to be part of a religion a, mm-hmm. and whether it's a church or like a, just a group of individuals, like there are side quest possibilities. You can have a God, their God appear before them and say, go on this quest. And as a paladin, if a God appears to you, Caleb, it's like the mission of <laughs> like, it's. I want to do this. I yes. want. I, there's nothing I want more. The confessor has touched me. <laughs> I want nothing more than to do this. This will bring me my ultimate joy and satisfaction <laughs> yeah. in my life. And I think that's a great point because that's something that can get if somebody really likes playing a paladin and you do that for them. That's like super exciting for them. But it also 
for a DM, that's something that's nice to be like, it allows me to say, Hey, I've got a story to tell. I've had a lot of times where a player will say, I just don't know. Like, how, why my character would care about this. And like, we've had lots of discussions at the table be, and just like, well, part of it is DM giving motivation. Part of it is players sometimes need to go and say, I'm in control of this character. So I need to figure out what their motivation is. Well, in this kind of sense, it's done for you. (laughs) It's done and done. (laughs) Like my God has spoken. He wants me to go do this. Now, as a DM, you once again... You want to make some personality in yeah, there. You want to make some personality. If your players are Paladin Heronius, you're not going to have Heronius appear and say, I want you to go kill every man, woman, and child <laughs> in the town of blah, blah, blah. Like, Just because, nonsense. Because even a Paladin of Heronius in that sense would be like, that's not what my god stands for. Is this even Heronius? Is this a trickster god? I need to pick a new god if this is my yeah, god. Exactly. This is not. Yeah, people follow different religions because that's what they believe is right, whatever it is, like, especially in a D&D world. And so even if a follower of like Heronius or whatever says, I don't 100% agree with everything that Heronius stands for. But He's I'm my God. I'm go- yeah, I'm loyal to him. But if he starts going completely out of the book, it's going to be like, this is not the God that I'm following. Something's wrong. But yeah, so you can't, you want to make sure that you understand the God. If you're going to do that, you want to make sure that you and your player have a good connection of like, this is what the God is like. I think also a Palin's a great for, for me personally, I run a lot of good aligned campaigns yeah. and I'll do evil campaigns every now and then. And every now and then for one shots, I'll be like, all right, you can be neutral, whatever you want. Like, but I like the idea of in the history of my world, creating heroes mm-hmm. and you do heroic stuff. Well, a paladin can be a, a huge moral compass yep. for a group. It makes a great leader for the group because, oh, yeah. because no one is going to suspect the paladin of doing something devious or underhanded. Yeah. Like if, I mean, in, in all of our campaigns that we've done in recent memory, we've always pretty much just done almost pretty much automatic, like uh, loot distribution. Mm-hmm. Just, it, it all gets done evenly and that's just the way it is. However, if you do something that's more like you role play your loot distribution, if you role play that out, then ultimately, like, there's no one more sensible to give to give the party loot to than the paladin, because yeah. you know, you you know, there's not a chance in anything that he's going to do anything underhanded or cheat the group or anything like that. That's a great point. Uh, like, that's something that I wasn't even thinking of. Like, a paladin is a great person to handle the party loot because that's how your first like paladin with me as a DM. Balfour's was. Yep. There were people in that group that we did have a mixture of evil and good characters mm-hmm. in that group. And there was like evil characters who hated you yep. and still let you carry their loot because, because they, they knew. knew, even though they didn't have a good relationship with you, they knew that they could trust you. There are characters that they were like, oh, Balfour's, he's my friend, but oh my gosh, is he annoying with that paladin stuff? <laughs> but when there was ever a discussion and there were discussions on like, who's going to handle loot? Everybody's like, it's clearly Balfour's. Yep. We know we can trust him. Like he's not going to like go and deceive us and take money for himself. Everybody knew even the other good characters were under question. Like there was, a, we had <laughs> Jophiel and, and everybody's like, Jophiel's a good guy, but he's probably going to take all of our money and go and give it to the temple of Lear. Yep. <laughs> like without asking us, we know at least even though Balfour's is loyal to Heronius, he's not going to go and deceive us. Yep. Because that would not be what he's supposed to do. And so somebody who's playing a pal in the right way makes a great 
person who carries party loot. Yep. <laughs> you know you're going to get a fair deal. I think that Paladins are also great for, as a DM perspective, to introduce moral dilemmas into the campaign. And once again, you know, we were talking off air about this, but this is a hard thing to talk about too because, you know, I, I can say moral dilemmas are great up and down, but you need to be careful as the DM not to introduce moral dilemmas to make your players annoyed and frustrated and to make party quarrels happen. Sometimes that every now and then I think quarrels within the party with the right people, like mature people is really entertaining to everybody and just creates great story. But you need to want, we say it all the time on the podcast, you got to know your group. Yep. And so if you're going to introduce a moral dilemma because you know, a paladin's in your group and the rest of the groups want to go with decision a, and the paladin's going to say, no, we need to go with decision B and you're going to do that. Make sure you have the right, the right, right kind, kind of players, of players. Th- th- yeah. that they can handle it, that they can handle it and that they're not going to get frustrated with each other as with players. With each other, and they're going to take... Because some players will see that as a great opportunity to role-play through that and figure something out. Some players will just go, I just do it. Just do it! Just do it! So yeah, that, I, I think the reality is for DMing with Paladins, for playing with a Paladin as a player, if it's done right, Paladins are, in my opinion, Paladins are one of my favorite things to... DM with a player playing a paladin. When somebody, whenever somebody says I'm playing a paladin, usually it's you. (laughs) (laughs) But I get excited. I'm like, oh, cool. I want to know what god you're gonna follow, so I can like get more like into like, all right, let's developing that develop that god, which we're doing with Uh, Lendis in the which we're doing um, with Lendis, yeah, in the hired heroes. You are playing a paladin once again, and yes, we are working on more hired heroes. And there is a a scene where we get to see your character in his temple. With the high scale, you have this great discussion. It's uh, it's one of my favorite yeah. parts of the campaign that's happened so far. So uh, for Hired Heroes too, you'll get an inside look into more of Paladins and specifically Lendies and the high scale and the order of uh, the Temple of Lendies. So yep. look forward to that. So let's, let's talk uh, a little bit more about Paladins. So we've mentioned a couple times already that... Uh, we've said if paladins are done the right way, if somebody's yes. playing paladins the yeah. right way, if the DM is ready to work with ready them to right work way. with them in the right way, I think it's important to understand what exactly a paladin is and have that understanding of how to run a paladin, whether you're running a, it as a DM, whether you're a player, or whether you're a DM working with a player. And so let's talk a little bit about just helping to shine some light on what exactly is a paladin. Well, really, the the most important thing that makes a paladin Mm -hmm. a paladin is his relationship with his god. Yes. Anything without that relationship of his god, a paladin is basically just a fighter. And I kind of not even a very good fighter at that because most of the things that really... Or a knight. He can... But it's that divine blessing, that element that really makes it a paladin. Everything that makes a paladin worth playing comes from that relationship with, of his of his god. If you take that away, then you really have to put other things in there yes. to replace that, to make it something that's worth playing, both from a mechanical gameplay sense and also just for an interest sense because it's a really raw thing without the interest of the, of the god. So first and foremost, a paladin is a champion of his god. Yes. He's, he's chosen by his god, whatever the alignment is, and we'll get into that. But basically, if you're going with straight, like, what do the D&D books and everything say about paladins? They say, champion of their god, they're blessed 
from their God, and they're sworn to stand against evil forces. So, once again, that alignment question. So, paladins are good? Question mark. We'll get more into this later, but let's just right now just point out some obvious things. So, I think most of the times when we talk about paladins, people think good. They think lawful good. Yep. And so, first of all, just with that good aspect, 5e of the book says that paladins are rarely evil. So, as far as the 5e book is concerned, paladins can be evil. They can, It's not so strict with the alignment. However, However yeah, and you said this before, go ahead. <laughs> the, the entire rest of the, uh, of the description there pretty much assumes that you are good. Yes. And everything... A that, holy, everything is, righteous warrior. Yeah, everything that it gives you operates on the assumption that you're good. So, if you're going to be evil... You've really kind of almost you're almost on your own at that point because you don't have a lot of a lot to work with from the rules. Like it leaves you the possibility to do it, but it doesn't really give you a lot of resource to do it. If you're thinking we're that that we're being too rigid right now, just keep listening because we will discuss paladins with different alignments and stuff. But right now, so paladins good standing against evil forces. Lawful is a paladin lawful. I think the base fact that a lot of what paladins they talk about as palins are about justice. Yep. Justice points to lawfulness. Talks about bound by their oath. That to me points to this lawful attitude. Rules, Rules. guidelines. Yes, guidelines. It talks about having been disciplined. They go through a lot to become paladins. It's not just like, I'm a paladin, boom. Yep. Even like in the sense of whatever god they're following, what did they do to become a paladin? They probably, if they, they if, train, especially they if studied. they're called by a god, then let's talk about calling. So first of all, there's a sense of calling of what if the god said, you are to be my chosen champion? Well, then they probably did something along the way. Yeah to achieve that there's other callings to being a paladin such as maybe a person becomes a paladin because they themselves they haven't heard a calling specifically from their god like the god hasn't spoken to them but throughout their life that's what they've wanted to be and so they work towards that along the way the other option too is maybe there's another paladin or a priest or whatever that comes to a person and says you should do this you should follow this path i have seen this in you and thus, I feel Heronius's hand on working yes. on you, or something. And so such. it's like other people can encourage you to follow a path, and then you hear that calling through other people, and you follow that path to be a paladin. But I think a calling is something that should be important if you're playing a paladin, if you're role playing an NPC who is a paladin. At some point, somehow, whether it was the god themselves or another person or persons. That paladin felt a calling to his position. And that calling is going to be really important to the backstory, the, oh, yeah. to the personality, that thing that makes each each paladin a little bit unique so they're not all the same. Because, again, like the oaths, the code, a lot of that, especially in 5e, it may be different from paladin to paladin, but it's going to really feel a lot the same, even if the codes themselves are different. But you're calling how you came to be a paladin. That's really going to what's going to make it so that when you have to choose between only bad choices. Yeah. What you choose at that point is going to be determined largely by your backstory. When you start coming to situations where there isn't any particular choice that's good or bad, it's just a matter of whether it's just a matter of what your character wants and desires. Like that's that's where that personality from your backstory and your calling is really going to be a driving force in that. Yeah. You're called, but whatever your calling is, I think it does harken back to that. Who is your God? 
that's your path that you're following for you. It's a life choice. It's a path that you choose to follow. And when you go into it, you're probably going, I'm going to be a paladin until I die because I'll probably die on the battlefield fighting for my God. If not, I'll be an old paladin that serves in a temple because I can't fight anymore. Or I'll be an old paladin that's fighting on the battlefield. Just <laughs> like, yep. like, uh, going to be a, like Barristan in the bold, an old guy in the field. Yeah, exactly. Which is from game of Thrones. Yeah. So calling's important. You're being called to a, a life, a way of life, a path that you're going to go on. It's not just a, I'll do this for a couple of years. <laughs> anyway, another thing that's interesting to note is, can a paladin be loyal to a king or ruler? I say absolutely. They may even serve a king. It may be their divine calling yes. to protect this person who they believe, for whatever reason, was divinely appointed to be in this position at this time. And so they're like, this person is not capable of defending himself, but he's very important to the plans of their deity. And so it's this paladin's job to be the sword and shield for this person. Yeah. I think that. Even if they're not standing by the king's side as a loyal servant, even if they're not knighted and under the king's direct servitude, a paladin is going to be loyal to the ruling authorities. They are lawful. They will follow the laws. However, there is a stipulation here. Even though a paladin's lawful good in general and they're going to follow the laws of the land— a paladin's first loyalty is going to be to their god. So if they are living in a land that is ruled by a king who's doing things that, even if it's not evil laws, but it's just good laws that go against the rules of their deity, that paladin's first lawful goodness is going to, the lawfulness is to their god's laws first. Over the laws of the land. Short of an express calling from their deity that this is where they need, like this is the the kingdom or the person that they need to serve and that they should just ignore these serious moral problems that go against the deity's concerns. Short of that sort of a direct calling, the paladin's not really going to, he's going to follow the deity's rules over the government's rules if there's a serious conflict there. Which that I think is a huge, this is a huge point of interest to me as a paladin if you're in a land that's got laws that you have to break because a paladin might break a law because he's like, that is against what my God believes and I will not obey that law. And as a paladin, what you might do afterwards is go directly to jail and turn yourself in and say like, I broke a law. And I'm going to do it again as well because I do not agree with this law. And turn yourself in because not, not because yeah. I don't disagree. Not because I don't agree with this law. My God finds this law despicable. Yes, <laughs> and so a paladin. I mean, a paladin might turn themselves in. That's where moral dilemmas come into play. Like your character, Balfour's was a paladin. He followed the laws because he believes in law and order but firstly he follows the law of Heronius and we had this back in the day when we played in a campaign with Balfour's the king was replaced by an evil dragon I think a a civic draconian who can take shape he's a shape changer you guys didn't know that but you knew that the king was doing things he normally didn't do he was making evil laws and he made slavery a law you could legally 
put like trade things to slavery. That's where stop came from. He was taken into slavery and you guys freed him. Well, it kind of inadvertently really. Yeah. It made this interesting dilemma uh, for your character back in the day. This was when we were really together as DM and player really going and working on our thought process of like, how does a paladin react in the situation where his God does not agree with this law, but it is the law of the land. Like your God is not for slavery. And so you can create really interesting dilemmas and work together with your players. Once again, do it in a good way. Don't do it in a way that just to make your players frustrated make it good for good story purposes. But I mean, we talked a little bit about that before we recorded on like, what does a, even let's say that Heronius in his, in a book of Heronius, it says you must bring slavers to justice. Well, somebody might go, all right, I'll have a paladin and I am the, I am the paladin of Heronius. And they say, bring slavers to justice. Well, clearly <laughs> bringing them to justice pretty much means letting them go about their business because <laughs> you try and capture them and take them in chains to the magistrate. And the magistrate's going to be like, why is this person in chains? He yeah. was doing his business. <laughs> it, it can open some gray areas, which will be interesting for you and your players to work through and go, what, what does this mean for your paladin? And, and the funny thing about that situation is you had actually, I, I don't know if you remember this, but you had actually kind of given me a little bit of subtle ish warning ahead of time before, before that event happened. And we were both working in the kitchen at the time and you were, and you, and you yep. told me that I, 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 I'm really excited to, to do get some conflict going, some internal conflict with your, with your, <laughs> I like conflict and uh, good and I, conflict. And I, th- I think that you may have even given the example of the time. It's like, I wonder what your paladin, what your paladin would do if you came across slavers, for example, mm-hmm. and slavery is the law of the land, but your paladin finds this reprehensible. Like what is, what would your paladin do in that situation? I also remember you not being able to concentrate on work that day afterwards. Cause I think you, your <laughs> gears return going, what would Balfour's do in this situation? <laughs> Which if you have a player who's playing a paladin, I think a person who wants to play a paladin, the best fit is somebody who's going to love to think about that kind of stuff. What yeah. is that moral dilemma is given to me? Awesome. Now I have to figure out how does my paladin respond? It's okay to take a few minutes to think about it. Oh yeah. And it's okay to even have a discussion at the table. Like I wonder what really work through stuff together. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a question about your God and what your God actual actually thinks about this. So you're making your decision of what your character would do with this based on the correct basic information. Talk about that. Ask about that. Figure that out. And as a DM, you want to, you're going to want to have as much of that information handy ahead of time when you're creating the situation so that you have the answers ahead of time to help him make his decision as best befits his character's code. If you run into something with a god that you're like, uh, there's nothing written down about where this god stands on this, well, once again, it's okay it's to, to pause to the campaign. Yeah, and even just like say, hey, guys, can we take three minutes like you, the rest of you guys grab a drink, whatever it is, like grab a snack, me and this person who's playing a paladin, we need to figure out together. What does what God, is this God, yeah, this? what does this God think about this? What would, would there be something written in their holy books about this to like lead me to believe this about it or that he stands for this? Would it be completely blatant? Some things might be like, okay, it doesn't say anything about this, but clearly this God would stand for this. Some things, it might be a little bit harder to determine. Would they? What What would they? Would they just not care? Like, it's all dependent on the situation. But it's fun to work with players and figure that kind of stuff out. Another thing that is interesting to note, and I think if you're a player wanting to play a paladin, if you are a 
DM role playing a paladin or working with a player, paladins, I would say they're driven to adventure because they do think they go on quests for their God, but they're not driven to adventure like a it's, lot of D and D players. It's not wanderlust. It's a quest. Yeah. yeah. Or for just, I need to get lots of riches, yeah. which a lot of adventurers in the D and D like mindset, whether it's player or just characters are about like adventuring is their means of getting wealthy or famous or powerful. Paladins are not really about like there's a mission. Yeah. They may be like, of course, if you introduce a plus five Vorpal sword into your campaign, a paladin's going to be like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. But like, and the player's going to be even more so like that. However, a paladin is not driven by greed. They shouldn't be anyway. If they are feeling greed, normally I think that's something they're going to ask their God to forgive them for. And this would be great if you're a player, if you're role-playing an NPC. If a paladin comes across loot, there's a couple things that can be role-playing aspects of that, even in an adventuring group. First of all, you come across a treasure while all the other players are looting through the treasure and finding stuff. The paladin gets down on his knees and starts thanking his God for this bountiful loot for this Vorpal sword. Like a paladin comes across the Vorpal sword. He's not going to just run off and like, oh, yay! he's probably going to be like, thank you, Pelor, for providing this because they're probably going to see that opportunity as my God led me here yep. to find this sword. This is a blessing from my God, a paladin could also then from that point, I think, take their money and they're either going to do two things with it. They're going to put it into making themselves stronger so they can be a better champion for their God. Yep. Or they're going to say, how can this money in a different way serve my God's serve my interests? Yeah. Balfris, you played Balfris and Balfris all was always trying to find temples to yeah. Heronius and would always give a really yeah. good donation. Yep. And here's the thing, as far as a player playing a D&D game and we're thinking rules and stats, what did that do for you stat-wise? Somebody goes off to a shop and buys plus one brace braces of yeah. armor. Something obviously is happening for yes. them. You were giving money to your church. What happened? Occasionally, when I would make a donation or pray at a temple, I would get a small boost on a particular stat for a temporary thing, like mm-hmm. a day or so. Yeah. But overall, like over the long term, stat-wise, as far as items and, and really quantifiable things, my paladin was not as advanced as some of the other characters, but it was also good because the character was more advanced as a character, his particular combat prowess or his particular weapons were not always as advanced as everyone else's, but it was it was still really good. And I think that it just gave you such a like good feeling of like I'm playing my character well. Exactly. And there well, there wasn't really like there were, like you said, sometimes temporary stat boosts and stuff, because your god Heroni should be like, I bless you for doing the right thing. However, there weren't a lot of stat bonuses that came your way for giving away a lot of times, yeah. a lot of gold. A lot of times a it was lot quite of a bit. Like, I don't like, remember specifically, like, but I remember yeah, there was like a lot like, of like, here's a chunk it. of change. Like, yeah. there's a lot. Like, I just took all of my earnings and gave it to you, the church. However, as a DM, first of all, you shouldn't be saying, hey, Paladin, haven't given to your church. You need to give to your church. Let's go, let's go, yeah, let's go. Yeah. That really needs to be on the player. It's okay to talk to the player and be like, you know, it might be, you could go to the, your, your church and like, I'm sure they wouldn't mind a donation. However, as a DM, if your player is doing that, especially if they're like doing it of their own accord, you need to realize that there are also other ways to 
reward them for role-playing their character well. If their paladin is giving their earnings that they earn from a quest instead of going out and spending it on themselves, that church is going to recognize him when he comes back. They're going to like recognize him as he is generous to our church and thank he really him for, cares about our yeah, God. He really cares about our God. People may recognize him for that. If your paladin is walking around and feeding the poor and giving the poor like food or giving them gold so they can buy food. When that paladin goes to that town that he did that in have like an old man down on his luck, come up and maybe your character doesn't even recognize him, but he just like thanks him. Because at some point he was the one of the guys who we yep. went and helped him out. Like you can have reputation come out of that of like your characters developing this good reputation. And that was one of the things it I was. really liked about yeah. that campaign that we haven't done since then is that yep. that whole reputation Repu- scale. We had a reputation that was really, scale. That was, I think that really encouraged a lot of role playing that doesn't always have quantifiable results. But it did have measurable effects in the uh, in the reputation. And yeah, the, and the I had a scale of like if you did give money to a church at different points, this is the amount of money you'd have to give, and it was a very like almost video game ish like scale. Yeah, yeah. So you could go down and do evil things, and the evil things would make you more infamous and stuff. But yeah, like you and you we you were encouraged to go and give money one because you had fun doing it and getting role-playing opportunities but you could also see if we're talking about stat improvements like you could see your reputation getting better through i'm giving to my church and my i know that my reputation is becoming better because of it so let's talk a little bit about specific conduct of paladins so i really like what fifth edition has done so we're going to take a look into the sacred oaths of fifth edition and so in fifth edition there's a sacred oath and it's basically the path that you choose for your paladin character. You choose it at third level and you choose one of right now. There's only, I think there's actually three oaths cause there's a fourth oath that's in the DMG. That's the, the oathless or the oath breaker. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about that simply because I don't have the five E DMG in front of me. So that may be on Paladin's Part 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paladin's Part 2. <laughs> Sounds excited. good already. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the ones that are in the player's handbook for 5e. And the great thing about this is that if right now you're going, oh, I don't play 5e, these are really great no matter what version of D&D you're yeah. playing, no matter what edition, no matter even if you're playing Pathfinder, any other RPG, anything with Paladin-like characters, these are fantastic. You can take these ideas, particularly the tenets we're going to get to from yeah. each of these oaths, oh, yeah. and you can just take these and really you can just apply them all to your Paladin or any any character with a code that you want to create. And like you can create your, if you create your own Paladin codes, use these as examples. And even if you want to make evil paladins, we'll talk about them later, but flip it on its head and take these codes and flip them around and say, they do what they said they don't do. But yes, so sacred oaths, they take them at third level. And so one of the things that I thought was interesting was in the fifth edition book, it even states like some paladins don't even believe that they are true paladins until they reach the point where they're taking these oaths. Like they see taking the oath as what makes them a paladin. They have finally become the true paladin. And then it also says some paladins just see it as a formality. It's like they've in their heart, they've been a paladin before the church said you you're good. Like it's publicly stating and acknowledging what you've yep. always known. has been. I already have this calling, even though the church is saying you're taking this oath in front of us now. And that's kind of how I think somebody taking this oath would be. And that's a great idea for a role playing opportunity. 
you've reached level three in your 5e campaign or go whatever version, go to your temple, role play out a paladin taking their oath and saying, I will do this and follow this tenant and this tenant and this tenant. I pledge an oath to follow my God and this throughout my days. Like that would be a great role playing opportunity. So the first oath that we're going to talk about is called the oath of devotion. And so Caleb, tell us a little bit about what do you see this oath of devotion? What does it talk about specifically? What is the oath of devotion? Well, one thing that stands out to me just in the basic description of the devotion is that paladins who take the oath of devotion hold themselves to the highest standards of conduct and that for some of them, holding themselves to the standard of conduct also means holding the people around them to the standard of conduct. I think for any paladin, this would be the case. They don't encourage or allow themselves to benefit from actions of others that violate their code. However, what this seems to be saying is that for some paladins, this means you don't even allow with any way at all, even just the acknowledgement of any friends of yours or anyone at all doing things that violate your code. Yeah. And you're going to enforce that. Like if you see someone down the street doing something that violates your code, you're going to walk up to them and put a stop yeah. to it. And it doesn't say that all those who follow this oath of devotion are like that, but exactly. some of them are going to be. It's this a is probably yes. that lawful, stupid idea that comes out of paladins yeah. because I feel like the old school thinking is all paladins are like this, and I don't think it's wrong for a paladin to play like this. Yeah. That's a that's a character to play. I think that paladins by nature are creatures of, an, of extreme, and that just takes it even more yeah. extreme. But and it's like not you a bad said, thing. a yeah. paladin who fell into this oath of devotion and fell into this I take the high road and everybody else should take the high road too. Not just like I take the high road and yes, every, you're Do not all you my want. sane path. Somebody who's like that may look at like, okay, they're paladin and they don't drink because their God does not want them to get drunk and lose control. Yep. And so they would pass a, a bar, a pub, and they would look at it and, and maybe spit on the ground and be like, uh, that those scoundrels in there, those that den this of, building would be better used as as firewood than yeah, as housing yeah. this, this is, nonsense. This is a place of this debauchery. debauchery. Yeah, exact debauchery and evil. Like even they might even go as far to say it's evil because my God does not stand for it. And they would see that as just being wrong. They wouldn't go into a pub with their friends and be like, yeah, you can drink, but I'm not going to. Some oaths of devotions would be okay with that and just be like, no, it's not for me, but you're not on my path. But some of them might be like, they might be that. Yeah, that more extreme, which both of those make for interesting characters to have as NPCs or as players. But again, like you, there has to be that communication between the, between the player and the DM from the beginning to kind of clarify what the direction, what the intent is of this paladin, how, what his exactly. perspective on his oath is really. Exactly. They're also, it, it makes note that they, if there are angels for that God, they're going to see angels as like the paragons yeah, of their morality. Exactly. Like angels are going and doing they're God's work, and they see them as, like, the perfect servants of that God and what's maybe they want to be. And maybe, depending on the lore, maybe that's something that's obtainable for your... Maybe angels you could are... become an angel yeah, or something like that. ...are paladins or just priests Promoted. or whatever that when they die or reach this point, they're ascended and become angels. That would be interesting. So their some of their armor may be reflective of angels as big wings on their helmet, like Thor, you know, from Marvel. But that's something that I thought was interesting. So let's talk about the tenets of the oath of devotion. 
And so the first tenet of the oath of devotion is honesty. Don't lie or cheat. Let your word be your promise. And so these can be can seem pretty straightforward, but we're going to just talk about a little bit. I think each one that we think we can get stuff more than just it says out of it. So, I mean, honesty, it seems pretty easy right away, but I think especially if we're talking about that character that sees everybody else's, they should be following the same thing. Yep. That means that they should not want to enter into any places with gambling because yep. that can be the forms of lying and cheating all over. Yep. If they're captured as prisoners of war, they're not going to say, well, I'm not actually with the enemy. Like, no, I'm with the enemy. This is who I am. Yeah. And the, if they're tortured for secrets of their side, the thing is, as a paladin, I don't think if I was role playing, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to give you all the information because I can't lie yeah, and cheat. That's not the same thing. No, <laughs> it's- but you're not going to lie exactly. and say they're here when they're not yep. there. You're, you're going to say nothing. Yep, you're going to bite your tongue and say nothing. And if they break you, then you then you give whatever you give. But but that's that's also a good point to say. There Maybe that's one of those moral dilemmas where you might lie to save some people, but then you feel that remorse even though it was something that accomplished good. Yeah. Like it's like you still sinned from your God and you, you ask for atonement. And I can't speak to five E for this, but I know that in 3.5, like really in pretty much any violation of your oath, of your paladin code of conduct results in you not being a paladin anymore. Yeah. You're no longer a paladin. At you the very least you lose it until you make atonement. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's what I'm like you lose all of your abilities, all of your divine paladin abilities that come from your God you lose them until you make atonement. Exactly. Uh, so the next tenet is courage. Never fear to act, though caution is wise. And so I think that's such a small thing to say about that. However, it also a lot to say about it. First of all, pa- paladins are called to accomplish their goal, accomplish their quest, smite evil, oath of devotion, you know, take down evil. Their characters with a mission and they're they're trying to accomplish their mission. But then it also says that doesn't mean you you just run into battle. That doesn't mean you're not not actually I specifically (laughs) remember when you played Balfour's a point in our campaign where somebody was like, you should just run in there. Why aren't you just running in and attacking this thing? Like you're a paladin. You should smite this thing. And it was like after somebody else had run in, like, and you were just like, that's not smart. Like I'm not going to run in there and commit suicide. I'm going to try and find a smart way to, to win this battle. I'm I'm going to try and smite this evil, but I'm not going to be an idiot about it. (laughs) Like I'm not going to run in against all odds when I know that it's a suicide mission. Like, and that's the thing. Maybe a paladin does do that because they assess the situation. And they find that that's yeah. what their best move is or that's what their moral obligation is. But it's not always going to be like that, and it's not always going to be clear from the outside that that's what they should do. I think that's a great point of paladins don't have to be lawful stupid. They don't just bust down the door and say, evil, I'm here, I'm going to smite you. They can be smart and tactical as well. Yep. The next tenant is compassion. Aid others, protect the weak, and punish those who threaten them. Show mercy to your foes, but temper it with wisdom. And so those who are taking the oath of devotion are going to be compassionate, especially to those who are less fortunate than themselves. I think that that even points to, even if you are like a high-end mighty ish like character that is like i don't partake of that and you shouldn't either i think with that oath of compassion 
even if you think that they shouldn't either, they should have some sort of compassion towards them. Yep. Like, oh, they're they're lost in the ways of darkness. Like, they shouldn't be doing that. However, I still would protect them yeah. if they were in danger. Or exactly. maybe I try and pull them out of the darkness. It's not like, oh, you shouldn't be drinking and I'm not going to deal with you, but, like, come with me. I'll show you a better way. Exactly, yeah. Like, it's speaking not, it's out not of compassion. Always, it's not always this, this hyper-aggressive nonsense. There's more depth and complexity to it to a well-played paladin than that. Yeah. I think also that speaks to, let's say you're in battle and somebody waves the white flag. Somebody says, I give up. Yeah. A paladin that's taken the oath of devotion. They're still evil and they're still the enemy. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you kill them. (laughs) Yeah. If they're pleading for compassion, pleading like, please don't kill me, stay your sword, lock them up, whatever justice comes down on them. But... You're not just running them through, blood splattering them on your face. Like, they're evil. That gives me the right to just murder hobo them, like, yep. every time. Like, no. And at the same time, like, there's always la- the layers even beyond this, because that also doesn't mean that every time someone surrenders, you all of a sudden, like, you're, okay, they threw up a white flag. I, I can no longer do anything to them. I, all I can do is just bind them and try to capture them. Like, no, sometimes... If so, sometimes people are obviously insincere in their surrender. They're just waiting for a time to escape, and you cannot effectively manage them for whatever reason, and you have to kill them, and that's okay. Like, that's not against your oath of devotion just because it's not compassionate. It's the only really practical thing to do, and it's also just. And that's a great point because, once again, great role-playing opportunity because maybe the paladin that's playing in your campaign is a new paladin, and every time somebody surrenders, he is going to go, I've taken an oath of compassion. Yeah. And I and and maybe he really gets in some sticky situations where people try and use that to his disadvantage. And, and he, he just has doesn't to realize, learn like yeah. that even though he's taken this this oath, this tenant of compassion, that maybe he even thinks about that whole tenant of courage of you can act with caution still and maybe he realizes that I can't go about this the way I've been going about this. Yeah. Because I'm not acting with caution, and even though I'm trying to be compassionate, there's at some point justice has to be done. Exactly. Like, maybe it, maybe he needs to try and sense the situation, figure out is this guy actually trying to give up, or is he got a smirk? He's just trying to use my tenant against me and to stab me in the back. Yep, trying to play me. The next tenant is honor. It says treat others with fairness and let your honorable deeds be an example to them. Do as much good as possible while causing the least amount of harm. This is something that, you know, we thought, okay, this seems pretty straightforward. Be honorable. However, I think right away it calls to mind like that chivalrous like knight attitude. I think the thing that differentiates a paladin from other fighters and other types of characters that are going to go into battle is this right here. Because a paladin, if they're trying to be fair they're not going to want to sneak around and shoot the enemy in the back. They're not going to want to pick up dirt and throw it into their enemy's Mm -hmm. face to blind them. They're going to want to face them face on, give them a fighting chance. And I think part of that is also that they are like, my God is on my side. Yep. And so if I'm supposed to win this battle, we will win this battle. And you will win it his way. His way, exactly. And so we'll fight them head on. Once again, it doesn't mean you have to be stupid with it, but we're not going to cheat to win. goes yeah. back to that honesty. We're not going to cheat to win. We're not, I'm not going to throw dirt 
We're not going to pull underhanded tricks. Exactly. And, yep. And there's and there's again there's a certain amount of flexibility in this. There might be a degree to which there's a question of whether it might be considered a trick going through the sewers to invade a castle. Yeah. Like, is that underhanded or is that just taking advantage of an actual hole in their defenses? Like, they're, it's not something they're not aware of. They know that the sewers are there. If they aren't defending those, that's their problem. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessarily that, bad for you. It may or may not be bad for you. Is that cheating, like, question mark? Yeah, like, is that dishonorable, uh, question mark? That's, that's not it's, it's an a, it's easy a gray area. Answer. That's a gray it's, area. It's something that is worth considering when you're yeah. in that situation. But then also, we're going back to the surrendering thing, your paladin throwing up the white flag with the idea of, as soon as he gets close, I'm stabbing him that through too, the throat. Yeah. He's not going to do that. That is a pretty clear cut in my mind. That's not. Yes. That's cheating. It's, it's deception. <laughs> that's deception. It's unhonorable that in is any very context. unhonorable. Yeah. It's like, so there can be gray areas, like you said. But there's also, but there's some also very things, clear things that it's things like, like, okay, come on. That is not a paladin's way. Yep. And as the DM who controls everybody except for the players in the world, yeah. you also control the gods. Yep. And if somebody does something to break their oath, you as the person who controls the god can make it so maybe that paladin for a day or maybe just one attack one spell it doesn't work as a warning to them like hey your god is not pleased with this you're walking around strutting around like you're the bee's knees well your god is not about vanity he doesn't like vanity and so the next time he he smites evil smite doesn't work and just a call to like hey your God is not cool with you doing this. And that just kind of keeps Change on happening until they realize what's going on and they're either change their ways or if it comes to a certain point, they might they might come to the point where they do lose it entirely and they end up having to make atonement once they figure out what the heck's going on. And once again, don't be a mean DM. Right, don't be yeah. a jerk. You need to also understand what that God, his rules are, his guidelines are, and together with the player, have your player be like, listen, don't metagame, but right now, this is what's going it, on. Exactly, that's what I was say. Like, yeah, if, yeah. If, if at some point your play, the player is just not getting it, because it is kind of tough to really do that in a careful, well-done, in-game way, and also make it really truly clear to the player at the same time with that information, sometimes you may have to just let your player know so that he can, at least he can understand what's happening so he can make judgments accordingly. If your player is, in your opinion... And you could be a hundred percent right, but if your player is, in your opinion, not playing their paladin correctly, and so the only solution is to punish him through his god by not allowing him to use his divine spells until the point where he rage quits your game, leaves, and never comes back to the D and D table. At some point, have in you there. accomplished being a good DM? I don't think so. I think there needs to I think you need to have communication with him about, hey, listen, I don't really think you understand what a paladin is. Maybe you want to be something different than a paladin, but like just lording over them, I control your god that you follow yeah. is not a good thing. <laughs> it shouldn't be some sort of like a passive aggressive fight that's going on between the DM and the player. Yeah. That should never be happening. No. And it's not gonna do any good if it does happen. Absolutely not. But we digress. Back to the tenets. The last tenet of the Oath of Devotion is duty. Be responsible for your actions and their consequences. Protect those entrusted to your care and obey those who have just authority over you. All this covers things that we've already talked about. Be responsible for your actions. Turning yourself in because you've broken a law of the land, but yep. it was something that you would not follow because your God 
does, doesn't want you to follow it. You have to make a choice. There's only two choices. One is the lesser of two evils. You make it, but you still, rather than a different type of hero who's able to go, I made the only choice I could and walk away with a clear conscience, you still, even though that might have been the only good decision, there's walk a struggle away. with that. Even there's afterwards. a struggle. You go and you try and atone. You pray to your God and say, please forgive me. You take responsibility for your actions. You have this protecting, once again, calling back to compassion. But even like that's paladins are great in group settings when they have this connection of this is my family, this is my group, I will die for these people. Yep. That's fantastic. And then the authority thing again, you're gonna follow the laws of the land. Unless, once again, it's it in go direct good. conflict with the, the priorities of your deity. Exactly. So that's the oath of devotion and the tenets of the oath of devotion. And before we move on, I just got to say, like, I don't think I ever noticed this before when I was looking at this. But, like, I'm looking at this in a lot of detail right now. And this just, for those of you who have who have read uh, Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives, this just seems Dalinar all the way. Like, I've, <laughs> I've always thought of Dalinar as pretty much a paladin. And he's, like, my favorite character in that series. This just but, screams Dalinar. But you? this is just so Dalinar. There's everything about <laughs> Dalinar. All right, so the next oath that we're going to talk about is the Oath of the Ancients. And so this is actually a really interesting take on paladins that I don't think a lot of editions got into before 5th edition really took a look into this. But the Oath of the Ancients is it's this oath that it says it's really ancient and as ancient as the race of elves, which clearly is... Fifth edition is saying elves are an ancient race. Most RPG settings, elves are an ancient race. But so basically, it's the oath that people, creatures that are in love with the woods and growth in the world, nature, nature, beauty, life, those are the ones that would take this oath. We were joking around. This is like, this is the hippie paladins. Yep. This is the tree hugger paladins. This is the mushy, mushy, nicey, nicey <laughs> yeah. paladins. Not, not exactly up your tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah not, 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 not really. This kind of turns me off of paladins a little bit. Like, not paladins as a whole, obviously. I love I them. I actually really like these. This I think these are kind, cool. This is kind of weird for me. I'm, I'm not uh, sure how I feel about I'm this. actually, after reading this, I'm like, I need to make some some of these paladins in my world as NPCs. These guys are sweet. <laughs> and Caleb's going to be like... <laughs> but, like, I think uh, races that would really fit into this as far as the classical thinking uh, that we think of as what races are. Elves, would they would definitely have paladins that take the oath of the ancients. Satyrs would take the oath of the ancients. Centaurs, even, probably. Centaurs, even. oh, yeah. Which is really, really sweet to think of. Race, really, so, oh man, to yeah. think of a paladin centaur is fantastic. Yep. Even like we said, when you read a couple of these things, I was like, that also screams halfling to me. Yep. Which paladin halfling <laughs> sounds so fantastic. <laughs> but so let's talk a little bit about the tenets of the ancients. So the first tenet of the ancient is kindle the light. So this is through your acts of mercy, kindness, and forgiveness, kindle the light and hope of the world beating back despair. And really, this is like all, all <laughs> these tenets kind of sound like this. It's not really the, the essence of the oath of the ancients that feels weird to me. It's just these, it's just these tenets feel like they say nothing. Like they're, they, they just are 
Like I don't, I don't know what to I build a character out of this. I wish you could see the dance that went along with that, listeners. <laughs> if you've seen Quest for Camelot, just little bunnies going through the air in the shadow puppets. Oh gosh. So yeah, the first one's Kindle the Light, and I'm really not sure what that means, but they're just trying to do good things by being nice people. It's pretty much what that sounds like. You're kind of right. It is a little bit hard to like. So what does that mean? Like, oh, I got a Kindle the Light, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Carry like, your life. <laughs> we didn't mention this, but like they like the, as lovers of nature and light and stuff like that, they try and preserve nature and the woods. And like we said, centaurs who are paladins, they're all about protecting the woods that they live in and nature in general. And so they kindle the light. <laughs> Still not sure exactly how to describe that, but and having kindled the light, shelter the light where there is good I, beauty. I love. do think. <laughs> Sorry, I do think that mercy, like we can pull out a couple yep. words from it, yeah. like mercy, like there's, you're there's a merciful paladin. Things there, yeah. Kindness, once again, forgiveness. Yep. Not only like are you as a paladin, forg- I think when we think of paladins and forgiveness, we think of like paladin did something, like we said, that need they need to atone for. Yeah. But as a paladin, and especially like that's an interesting concept. Yeah. A paladin, a group it's of like people a- who don't follow their path, who believes in forgiveness it's understanding needs to those, his friends it, for doing certain it things. almost pulls away from the possibility of some of those more extreme paladin ideas yes. we were oh, talking yeah. about before in the, in the oath of devotion i don't think those more extreme ideas really fit very well in the oath of ancients it's this is a little bit more of an accepting open sort of oh yeah that classic negative thinking of paladins doesn't think of a paladin as being a very forgiving person they think of the religious zealot who will stand for nothing except for their way or the highway this paladin is going to forgive people who wrong him and be kind and be merciful i like that about them yep so, once again, having kindled the light, the next and the second tenet is shelter the light. Where there is good beauty, love, and laughter in the world, stand against the wickedness that would swallow it. Where life flourishes, stand against the forces that would render it barren. Very dramatic, lovely language there. <laughs> um, You're really so, against <laughs> these guys. <laughs> it's just so weird to me. Um, but, uh, but these are good things. Like I feel yeah. like these are good things for a paladin. These are good characteristics for a paladin. It just doesn't it's sound very, very It's paladin-y. a very poetic way of yeah. Saying stand against evil, yes. stand for what is good, yep. and with this whole oath of the ancients, like the nature and life in general, stand yep. for nature, stand for life, protect what's beautiful and good, and yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. Like <laughs> I picture paladins of the oath of the ancients chaining themselves to an yeah. old, <laughs> old ancient redwood these, tree these because are, the city wants to rip it down. They're like, no, it's been here for. Thousands of years. These are the environmental activists of the (laughs) D&D world. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Shelter the light. And then the the third one is preserve your own light. Delight in song and laughter, in beauty and art. If you allow the light to die in your own heart, you can't preserve it in the world. <laughs> you just really love these, don't you? It's You're shaking so, your head. <laughs> it's they all every single one of these sounds exactly the same to me. Like it's tiniest, <laughs> well, slightest okay. twist from. So let from me the break this. Points. Let me break this one down. So I think 
first of all, I this is where I thought happening. Delight in song and laughter, which once again, this is breaking that mold of what people think of paladins. Yes, they yes. don't think of paladins as people who delight in song, delight yeah. in laughter, They're as more being serious, happy, way more serious, even. grouchy, like you said, quick temper if you do something that's against what they believe. Yep. These paladins are going to be, it's not just saying, like, you don't have to be grouchy. It's saying, dude, if you're this paladin, then delight in laughter. To be happy, be joyous, and spread joy. Delight in song. Like that's why I thought halfling right away. In fact, this is one of your tenets. It's it's to preserve your own light. But it's even it's talked about like you would be a huge patron of bards. Like you hear that bard on the street, you're going to go up, you're going to drop some gold coins in because he's singing this lovely little tune. And you're like, you need to keep playing, man. Like we, we were saying that these paladins would be best buddies with yeah. bards. They Absolutely. Would, they would be supporting their arts around their temple. Yep. There might be a, a section of society that has a lot of art that's frequented by paladins with this oath. I just realized something. Jophiel is a paladin exactly. of the oath he of is. the ancients. He pretty much is. He's a paladin <laughs> of the ancients. Yeah. And that's another thing is that, uh, and that brings me to mind because we talked about how Jophiel was, was very chaotic good. And that's one thing that's actually mentioned in the earlier description of the Oath of Angels. Yeah. Is that, is that that's of all point. the oaths, this one is really not aligned at all from lawful, neutral, or chaotic. It can really be any of the three. It's almost entirely good, just like all paladins in 5e, but it's, it doesn't have to be lawful. It could very well be neutral or chaotic. Just as easily. I mean, it's I almost, all fair game. I almost feel like if I had to choose, this one flips it on his head neutral. and says chaotic yeah. more than lawful good, which is interesting. With all the discussion we've had on paladins, like it's not that typical paladin yeah. that you think of. Yeah. That definitely is that oath of devotion is the typical paladin. And then the last tenet then is be the light. Be a glorious beacon for all those who live in despair. Let the light of your joy and courage shine forth in all your deeds. Once again, you're, you're a paladin that's driven to spread that joy. Exactly. Not this, just like be joyful yourself, but I mean, you're the paladin that's going to affect the world in a positive way yeah. in accordance <laughs> with your values and those of your deity. <laughs> yeah. You're the paladin that the town that your guys are protecting gets attacked and half the people die, goes up to your party. Just like, guys, we just saved half the town. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's right, yeah. You are the team cheerleader and the frontline yeah. swordsman. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, that's a goofy way of putting it, but like, you, but yeah. you would have this sense of trying to look on the bright side, trying not to be caught up in depression and despair, and trying to help others not be pulled down into the darkness of despair and like pull them back up and just be like, hey, you have purpose. Like, don't be upset. Just point them in the right direction to be once again able to feel purpose and feel joyous. Yeah. So last oath that we want to talk about is the Oath of Vengeance. And this one is really that grumpy paladin. Like, we're going way from Oath of Ancients. Yeah, grumpy paladin, smoking his cigar. He has a mission, and he's a serious whatever it is. Oath of Vengeance is definitely that. They're focused completely on smiting evil. I think I would say pretty much they're very battle-focused. Yeah. They're very, like, go to evil, 
kick its butt. Even by Paladin standards, like these guys are single-mindedly mission-oriented. Yes. Like, and this almost gives the implication like they show up at a specific time because something has happened and it demands justice. And so people will come in to swear oaths of vengeance for a specific purpose, a specific yeah. reason, a single mission, and that is what they're all about. It's it gives examples narrow. such as a dragon attacks a town, kills people. Yep. When, the, when Thieves' Guild grows too violent and powerful... They got to take them down. Yep. When entire nations turn against the will of the gods. Exactly. So th- they swear this oath to they have this mission. They will stop at nothing. These are the zealots. Yeah. They'll stop at nothing to accomplish their mission and to smite evil in the world. This really starts that weird alignment discussion that we call back to because the 5e book even says that a lot of these paladins are going to be lawful neutral or even just neutral because of the things they have to do it says they will give up their own righteousness to accomplish their task now i think the thing that we wanted to point out is here that i think even the book it speaks about this in a way it's still talking about smiting evil that i think most of these paladins are still following Good aligned yeah. gods, good yes. aligned deities. Their their ideals are are good, and they are simply willing to go about really awful, horrific means to accomplish those ideals. If they ends. need to, yeah. If, if, they, if, if they that's right. If they if they feel that their calling is to accomplish a specific good end, then they'll be willing to justify a lot of really bad things if they see that it's necessary in order to accomplish this good end. Yeah, that whole line in there about they're willing to sacrifice their righteousness is really powerful to me because it makes it seem like they're almost just like, you know what, in the end, when I die, maybe whatever afterlife comes next, my God does not accept me and condemns me. But I am so loyal that I will follow and I will accomplish what my God wants me to do. Forget my soul. It's like forget my soul, the greater good. That's what I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to accomplish my God's will by any means necessary. It's a very dark look on a paladin, but Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. I'm going to go back to the Stormlight Archive. If any of you guys read Brandon Sanderson, I'm going to go by going back to the Stormlight <laughs> Archive. This feels like a Teravangian to me. Like it's just very, and does awful, horrific things, is willing to do awful things, but the end is supposed to be good. So let's talk about these tenants. It even says, you know, some of these tenants are not, it's not like every single guy taking the oath of vengeance has these tenants, but these are some of the tenants that they might take. And it says they're, Brutally simple. So the first one is fight the greater evil. Faced with a choice of fighting my sworn foes or combating a lesser evil, I choose the greater evil. So they're, once again, like you said, they're going bigger going home. <laughs> and this really, like this, it says it's brutally simple. And this it simplifies conflicts of choice. Like if you have different concerns and different problems that your character is facing and you have to choose them, like this is giving you a basis on which to choose one over the other. And it should be pretty easy to, on this basis, make a lot of those decisions. Like this is a greater evil. This is the evil I'm more concerned about. I'm going to fight this one. That's just it. These are the ones that might be able to walk away from a, I just chose the lesser of two evils. And shrug it and off with shrug a clear it conscience. Off. Like, yep, they, I feel like these paladins, like shrug it off with a clear conscience. I feel like these are the paladins get to the point that they're so mission focused that they don't even have a conscience anymore. I 
pitcher, even some of them just being so dead inside because of the stuff they've had to do, but they still are so focused on doing what they have made an oath. Exactly. And even when you say it like that, this, this still almost sounds evil just because they're willing to do things that would otherwise be evil for good ends. I, can, yeah. I don't ever want to underemphasize that for the vast majority of paladins of the Oath of Vengeance, this still feels like the end goal should always be good. The intended goals should be in alignment with their deity and should be should be good, but they're just willing to do bad things to, to accomplish it. Interesting point to make with all this. If a paladin that has taken the oath of devotion comes across a paladin who has taken the oath of vengeance, there's going to be conflict yeah. in a situation like this, even if they worship the same god, to the point where even the paladin who's taking the oath of vengeance might decide this guy's standing in my way. I need to take care of him they're by gonna, whatever means necessary. Or, or they're going to need somebody with the oath of ancients to come in and sing a song for him and make him happy, <laughs> happy. So. I was going to say, <laughs> or the one who's taking the oath of devotion might say, whereas he might not be strictly evil, I also need to take him down because he's doing perhaps doing evil things in my God's name. Paladins, I didn't realize how much we were going to dive into like just really deep, like, yeah, rabbit holes. But then you get into the question of if their power is coming from the same God, well, which one's power stops working and then how do they... Or do they even? I mean, there's a certain degree which you could make an argument as a DM that while these gods support each of these characters' missions, they are not so intimately involved with the characters themselves that they're going to be concerned that they're fighting each other. I mean, the gods may not affect this one-on-one combat at all or this one-on-one interaction yep. at all. It may just be they're both trying to serve my ends and one they both have different ideas about how to do it. I support them both, but I'm not going to pull one out of this or suck their powers away. or They're both serving me. Let them do it. And I've said it before, but I love the idea of gods being flawed. That's what I like in my fantasy settings. All my fantasy settings that I'll ever create, the gods will be flawed. And you could just have this god of maybe the god doesn't know who he wants to win. And so he doesn't pull that power. And he's just like, whoever wins, that's my champion. And so both of them have the powers throughout their battle and one of them dies. The champions may affect the character of their god just by even the the, the god may not know which way is the better way to accomplish his goals. But the one who wins and then goes on to accomplish the mission then affects that god for eternity as he's seen this way work in this in this instance, possibly in a huge way. And so this god is affected by this person that's serving him. And all that does not sound like a good deity to me at the same time. Yeah, but once again, you're, almost, you're breaking, yeah. yeah, you're breaking down walls of alignment and like flawed gods. And I mean, this oath of vengeance is a very like you're going to dark territory of like a paladin that follows perhaps a good aligned god that's doing some not so good things. In the name of good, but making wrong choices. And where does that stop? Does he lose power? What happens? This oath of vengeance is going to take a lot of, uh, spend a lot of time in really deep in gray areas. I mean, really, really deep in gray areas. So the next tenant is called no mercy for the wicked. Ordinary foes might win my mercy, but my sworn enemies do not. And so... Like we said with that whole, you have this sworn mission. If your mission is to kill a dragon because it killed 
half the town or the whole town and you get there and you're about to slay the dragon and draw your sword across its throat and it pleads for mercy. Or it's telling you a sob story about yep. its kid that it's trying to rescue. Yeah, like it throws up that white flag where the oath of devotion may stop and consider and possibly show compassion. Yep. And the oath of the ancients <laughs> would probably may very well. <laughs> who knows what they're going to do? Them, I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> like thanks for coming to my side. <laughs> the uh, the oath of vengeance absolutely would no way would just like frown stare him in the eye slice the head off <laughs> like he nope that was my oath and maybe then he's done his oath and <laughs> i don't know where i feel like the, there's a goes he, back to his farm who knows yeah yeah like i feel like you might end this oath early on in your paladin life but there's n- almost like no going back perhaps maybe. to that paladin path and maybe you i don't know what you do <laughs> or alternatively i mean you could be the the old warrior that goes home and and goes back to the farm i feel like of all the paladins this is the most likely one to go back to a farm and stop being a paladin for no other reason that that, it's all about this mission once this mission is accomplished maybe i maybe he can go back to his home and he's going to be scarred for life because of a lot of the stuff that he's had to do but yeah i think he's going to be the one of the more likely ones to be able to stop being a paladin and just go home agreed yeah the next tenant is by any means necessary and so we've talked about this but my qualms can't get in the way of exterminating my foes and even that word exterminating is yeah. it draws a like, dark picture yeah it's, it really does it, it yeah. almost it feels almost like genocide almost is what i feel like you, when well I yeah i like think of exterminators yeah. and you killing bugs and nobody cares about the bugs nobody has yeah. like it's like no kill them all <laughs> like yep. yeah it once again it's a really th- grim paladin any means necessary definitely really grim the last 10 is restitution if my foes wreck ruin on the world it is because i failed to stop them i must help those harmed by their misdeed there we have this paladin taking responsibility yep. for even perhaps not his actions and nothing that he could even control, but just this, it his is bleak. inability to succeed in his missions. Yeah, the, this Oath of Vengeance is definitely bleak. Once again, it does call back to they are trying to do good. They're called to help those harmed by those who are causing evil. Yeah. But with all those other tenants, it's just their main focus is to stop the evil in the world to whatever that main focus is so there's the three oaths from the 5e players handbook in great detail it really takes a different look into paladins and it starts to break out of that alignment of lawful good and we said we talk about alignments more and so we're going to talk a little bit more about alignments we've talked so much about them already but we kind of stated at the beginning of the meet that typically paladins If you have to choose an alignment, they're lawful good. Can a paladin only be lawful good? Well, we've kind of answered that by looking at the Oaths of Vengeance. And even at the beginning, we said the 5e book specifically does say paladins. Mostly good. Paladins mostly good, but rarely can be evil. So they can be. Speaking as a DM, talking to other DMs, when you're running a campaign, does a paladin have to be lawful good? And so you have, in my opinion, three options for does a paladin have to be lawful good. The first option is just clearly yes. A paladin has to be lawful good. When you're looking at 3.5, the stats that a 
3.5 Paladin gets, it makes the most sense just yes. to say, yes, they have to be lawful good. And it, in 3.5, I think the they do have to. Yeah, it says prerequisite lawful yeah. good. There's, a, there's a few variants for the other for the yep. other four corners of the alignment grid, yep. but basic Paladin has to be lawful good. Yes. Even if their deity is chaotic good, they have yeah. to be lawful good. If yep. they're neutral good, they have to be lawful good. Yep. Pelor is neutral good. Paladin of Pelor is lawful. In good. fact, I think there's even a, there is even a, a deity d- restriction on there that yep. I think that it has to be within one step. So you couldn't yeah, even so have it couldn't a chaotic. Be a it couldn't have be a lawful be good, good Paladin of Court. Yeah, it have, have. it have to be a neutral good, lawful neutral, or lawful good. Yeah. Like those are the only four things that your god can be. You would and, know. You are the Paladin lover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your answer can strictly and simply be yes. A Paladin has to be lawful good. However, your answer can be no. Paladins are chosen champions of the gods, and so their alignment should reflect the alignment of their gods. So here's the question you have to answer when you say, yes, paladins have to be lawful good. You're basically saying that a champion of other gods... Is something other than a paladin. Either doesn't exist or something other than a paladin. And so this kind of, like, that kind of makes it so, okay... I have extra work to do, and we'll talk about that. However, (laughs) you can say, no, paladins are chosen champions of any god, and so you choose the god, you fit the alignment, and that is the paladin of that god. Paladin of Hextor, evil paladin, you know? Now, along with that, I think that you need to take into account tweaking of spells, especially if you're playing 3.5 or any of those editions where you have, you're a paladin, so you get... Aura of good. Yep. That's obviously not. Obviously not if you're following Hextor. Obviously not if you're a neutral character that follows a neutral god. Yep. Uh, you're not going to have aura of good. Certainly not. Lay on hands is another one that's kind of It'd be really weird yeah. for an evil character to have lay on hands as an ability. That just doesn't make sense. Yep. All those cure light wounds, cure heavy wounds, like you switch it to inflict light wounds, inflict heavy wounds. But going along with that, if you say no, paladins are the chosen gods champions and they can be any alignment they follow the alignment of their gods here's the thing i know that not every player is going to be mature enough to handle a paladin the right way and so we said like what do you do when a person is not playing their paladin the right way and you know they're not doing a good job of it but they're playing a paladin and they're really not concerned about their god or their alignment and everything like that do you just keep on harping on them until they just rage quit honestly i think if they're beyond that not being a problem at the table they're just not really concerned about they're just playing it for stats yeah playing for to have fun with this certain class my advice is just hand wave that alignment don't lose a friend don't lose especially if they're a good player and that's just not something they're concerned with just because you're like oh you're really not focused on the the alignment of this paladin that would be my advice and maybe in the future like by all means like have conversations with them see if you can help them play that in more of a paladin-y way but if they if they can't do that yeah like you don't want to ruin the entire gaming experience if it's otherwise fine but maybe in the future if they've shown that they don't really understand paladins they don't really dedicate to playing a paladin as a paladin and you want that to be part of your world this is how paladins are yes then maybe in the future just try and encourage them to them to play something else there's a lot of other variations of fighter 
classes that have good codes or interesting spells and spell-like abilities that they can do besides paladins that are less specific in how they should be played. Yeah, and my answer would be the last of the choices is yes and no. And this is what I choose for my world. Do paladins have to be lawful good? Yes. Paladins in my world are strictly lawful good. However, it makes sense, like we said, that other deities also have champions as well. That can be just like paladins, but give them a different name. And then different abilities that make sense. Exactly. But even like some of them can be super easy. So like a champion of court who's chaotic good can pretty much they can have the same stats if you're looking at 3.5 same kind of stats however all you gotta do is anything lawful you just change to chaotic it's really all you do but everything else is pretty much going to be the same you might if you're looking at 5e if you're looking at oaths and things like that or codes it's gonna be a little bit different for a chaotic deity than a lawful deity if you, and if you want a good example of kind of the, the sort of things that you want to exchange in there honestly like you can just look at the paladin variants because there's there's pretty clear specific paladin variants for again for the for the four corners of the alignment grid there's the paladins of freedom for the chaotic good and paladins mm-hmm. of tyranny for the lawful evil and i forget what the chaotic evil is paladins of anarchy i think Anyway, each of those has all these spells and spell-like abilities exchanged out and switched in a way that makes sense for that alignment. And you may, maybe you have some more tweaking you want to do to make that make sense specifically with the god that they serve that you're trying to get this class associated with. But in general, like those are just kind of a nice guideline for the sorts of changes that you want to make to make the alignment make sense with the class that you're trying to create. Yeah, going along with that, like speaking of like s- different things, I mean, three point five kind of gave the answer to I want to play a paladin, but I want to be neutral or I want to be evil in the cavalier. Which honestly, I looked at the cavalier and it's it's more of a knight than anything yeah. else. It doesn't really have any specific divine stuff, but th- I mean, that was kind of their answer to want to be a neutral ish paladin. However, there's also the black guard or otherwise known as the anti-paladin, which they are just strictly evil. And we will come back and talk about them a little bit more later, but you want to create chaotic paladins. You want to create neutral pounds, whatever it is, just take the paladin, tweak it a little bit and then give it even a different name. You, there's all these kinds of names that you could give to other alignments, Justicar, Templars, Unholy or Holy Avengers, Champions, like good champions of the god of yep. their god. They can just be a champion. Like whatever it is, you can create different just if you have that issue with I can't say you're a paladin in my world because you're not lawful good. Well, what are they? They can still be champions of the gods. Just give them a different name and Absolutely. tweak it a little bit. Super easy. That's what I like to do because I do like paladins in my world to yeah. be lawful good. Except for when they're not, because no, shut God up. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. God Wars. They are called paladins, however. But they're not. <laughs> they do not have the paladin stats, and that was because of the God Wars. And oh my goodness, God Wars. So we're going to take a little bit of time and from the DM perspective, talk about if you're making your own order for a paladin. And so, Caleb, we were talking about orders of paladins. You're like, I'm not a DM, but I think that making an order of paladins that the origin is really important. 
And so where did they come from? Why did they form? For whom did they form? So what God are they following? And what cause brought them around? I mean, if you're looking at an order that's brought that they all are taking this oath of vengeance, like was it a dragon that killed the whole town? Order formed once that dragon said order disperse, you know? Yeah. Um, so their origin, their cause, I mean, it could be an order that's old as be, time itself. Yeah. Like or they've existed even, forever. Or it could be even an order that in its origin, it wasn't originally like using your dragon example, like yeah. a group of people simply assemble without, not as With an order, purpose, but just, yeah. as, just as a group of people that are of a single purpose to defeat this dragon. And then... Out of that, they develop kind of a whole philosophy because whether because this yeah. dragon fight gets prolonged over the course of a generation or so, or for whatever reason, like this becomes a certain mentality with a particular set of values. A um, particular and, set of skills. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're just uniform in certain ways, and they create their own sort of codes and oaths associated with this thing that becomes an order of paladins. Right? Yeah. I think this origin, this cause that brings them around is very similar to what we talked about at the beginning about the, the calling. Itself, yeah. yeah, the calling for a paladin, only it's not an individual now. How was this group this of people called? Yeah. And it could once again be those specific things. It could be the God that they follow called all of them, whether they were all together or the God appeared to them individually and brought them all together to create this order. Their it, entire purpose is to pre- protect this scroll of prophecy yep. so that a thousand years from now, exactly. people know what to do. Like, that's <laughs> exactly. their only mission. Yep, they could all uh, be called by the church to create this order. Like, maybe that's the thing. Maybe a high bishop says, we need to accomplish this thing, and so you are all going to be part of this new order. And there the order is born. But yeah, the calling for this order. I can't, I can't remember what it is in Doctor Who. They This church now has a new a new mission. <laughs> and it's we're now the order of the silence or the what I forget what the specific wording is, but that's the same sort of thing. It's like we have a new purpose. Yeah. You look at the origin and cause, and that's gonna lead to all the answers to where is this group founded? Where's the location of this order? Like, are they in a set building? Are they spread all across the world? And that calls back to the oaths. Like if this is a paladin order that follows the oath of the ancients, they're probably going to be somewhere in the woods or by a waterfall because water is life or something along those lines. It's going to dictate their actions, like their missions that they go on, their quests. It's going to dictate the rules that they follow. It's going to dictate the followers in general that they have, and the symbols. If it's a group that forms because they all slayed a dragon, There's maybe they're be a the, dragon in their yeah. Maybe they are the dragon slaying knights of blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, and so their symbol is a dragon's head with a sword run through it. You yeah. know, these origin stories I think is the key to where did this paladin order come from and what are they doing now? Yeah, because yeah, if they slayed a dragon, maybe. Their order, then, is all about going around and slaying evil dragons. Yeah. All right, so we're almost here done with our talk about paladins. However, we have had a couple questions from some of our Patreon dragons on the forums. And so we're going to just look at these couple questions that have to do with paladins and answer them to the best of our ability. So the first question that we have is, must one follow a deity to be a paladin? So do you have to follow a god to be a paladin? I would say... Pretty much yes. I would say pretty much yes. I would say there's a little leniency with... 
I don't think it has to be a deity per se. It could be a force. It, it could be a force. I mean, it could be a really powerful angel. Yep, that's true. It could too. be a really powerful otherworldly creature. But there has my... to be something of which, like not just an idea, but it, but something yeah. with power with which you are associated and aligned and worship. Because that's where your power as a paladin comes yeah. from. If there's not some sort of source like that, then you have no basis for all of your mm-hmm. paladin things that make you a paladin. Yeah, if we're, especially if we're looking at stats specifically. Yeah. Paladins get their power from a divine place or a powerful yeah. other place, something or someone. Yep. We would both say, must one follow a deity to be a paladin? We'd say... Basically, Basically, yes. yes. Not a deity specifically, but there's got to be something. Yes. However, what about like low fantasy campaigns, especially campaign settings without God? Well, I think we would both say, then you're talking about knights. However, here is my thing as a DM. If you're creating this world and you want to have the word for a knight who doesn't follow any God, be paladins, it's your world. You can do whatever the heck you want. Absolutely. But if we're looking at like stats specifically, there is a clear divine power behind the paladins. And you even said when we were first looking at this question, if you strip away that divine powers from a paladin, like a paladin loses his divine powers because a god forsakes him or whatever. But in this sense, there's no god in the first place. And so he loses those powers. It's not really a very interesting character to play no. at that point. And you lose a lot of what makes that character a good yeah. character. Yep. Now you can flip that on its head and say that that power is coming from something else that he thinks he's praying to a god. And maybe it's like it's actually arcane magic. But yep. once again, like if we're talking about low fantasy, that's I mean, that could, that could still still mm-hmm. exist in a low fantasy. But yeah, but you can take the knight. I, there's a class for a knight. You can yep. take the knight. And yeah, call at least the three point five. Because, I don't think it five yet. That but. nomenclature works well for your world. Yeah. But again, like the book stats for a paladin don't make a lot of sense if there's not something there to grant power. Yep. And once again, if you want to have that, him running around and be a paladin, maybe you just don't, as a DM or your players, once again, don't care about getting into that. And get, who cares? It's right? a game. Yeah. The stats don't have to dictate your lore. It's about having fun and making a good story. Yeah, so. so if you don't want the stats to dictate your lore, then who cares? Throw out that idea and just go, he's able to do this by whatever means that you deem necessary, or I don't care how he does it. <laughs> so, But yeah, so that's our answer to that. Hopefully that helps. Next question is, how can a group of PCs, this is a really good question, how can a group of PCs work around doing some not so good things when they have a paladin in their midst? Get a paladin who has taken the oath of vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Besides that, besides that, I think because I think this question was asked with the mindset of that lawful good paladin yeah. who Even, will not break rules. That yep. more oath of devotion. Exactly. Paladin. Yes. And this has happened in our games. Yeah. Where you, our PCs, like especially with Balfour's, needed or wanted to do something, and they're like, Balfour's is not going to let us do this. Exactly. So tell us what happened, basically. Well, well how do you get? In, in order to really accomplish anything, like you have to, you have to either trick the paladin somehow, which if the paladin is playing well, is not really going to be an easy task, or you have to accept the possibility that in order, to, the probability, the inevitability that in order to accomplish a lot of the things you want to do, 
you have to resign yourself to a party split where the people who are okay with doing it are going to go do it and the paladins not. And you also have to accept that there's probably going to be at some points, again, with this oath of devotion kind of concept, which is kind of my default idea of a paladin, really, with that sort of paladin, there's going to be some things which he's not even going to let you do. Like, if this is happening all the time, then there probably needs to be a conversation between the player who's controlling the paladin and the DM to understand exactly what situations this paladin is going to find so, so important that he's actually going to fight his party about this if they can pursue this path. There should not be a lot of issues that are that big of a deal for the paladin, unless it's more of like a paladin of vengeance sort of thing, where it's like it could be kind of a whole range of things almost that could do that. But for most paladins, there's a lot of rules, a very detailed code of conduct, and he's not willing to do things or even willing to benefit from his party doing things that violate this code of conduct. But there may also be things that the paladin just says, if I know my group is going to do this, I'm not going to let them do this. I cannot accept this being done. If I see someone else doing this, someone not in my party, I'm going to try and stop them from doing this. And you just got to be aware that those sorts of things, if you want to do those things, you can't let the paladin know what it is. And you may not always know what those things are until you try the first time. And this is one of the most terrible places that I've seen metagaming be a really strong, like idea of metagaming sucks. And I have to give you kudos, not just because you're sitting in front of me, but because you as a paladin were always really good with, like I would see players who weren't paladins and because people were like, oh, if we do this in front of them, they're not going to like it. They would specifically go off with their other characters and say, okay, we're going to do this. We just can't do it while this guy's around. And I've seen other players sit there at the table, know what's happening because their player's there. And And they kind of manipulate the situation. Yeah, everything within their power to make sure that their character shows up and ruins everything. And it's like, your character had no idea they were going there. Why is it happening like this? It's like, I've had conversations with people just like, dude, you're metagaming and just having them stare right back and go, no, I'm not. I I was going there in the (laughs) first place. And like everybody at the table is looking at them like, dude, seriously right now? Like we know you're metagaming. You're not fooling anybody. You're not even fooling yourself. However, I got to give you props because you as a player who played a paladin, they would do this to you. Like your group, when you were playing Balfour's, would do this to you on occasion. And you would be at the table and you'd see them doing that. And you would not metagame and have yeah. Balfour show up at the place where they were doing that by some weird happenstance <laughs> yeah. that you created out of your butt because you mentally are like, this is a competition in your yeah. mind that you need to win. And, you, some, you and, said, sometimes, and sometimes I would end up thwarting their, their ideas just because it yeah. happened, but it was never like that sort of a and thing. And in, in player, you would tell the guys, you'd be like, guys, I'm fine with you doing this. You're playing your character. Yeah. I'm playing mine. Yeah. If Balfour's finds out about this, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems. However, if he doesn't find out about it, it's going to be fine. And then I think that really is the metagaming evil that gets into the game of players who they need to have their character's way of things happen all the time, even when they're really not related into that situation. Like they want whatever their character thinks is right. And it sometimes just let other players do what they're doing and enjoy their story and go, man, like you, you were Balfour's. And there were times where you're just like looking with a smile on your face, like, man, if Balfour's was there, this would not be <laughs> happening. But oh my gosh, is this a great story that's 
yeah. happening with Balfour's not being there and shaking your head like if Balfour runs out, he's gonna be so mad. And but I, I personally hope he doesn't. In some instances, yeah. you'd be like, and, and I've played story, and I've played a paladin in other campaigns that, that, that I've played a paladin. And I've been like, I just wish there was a rogue that was doing something behind yeah, my back right, right now <laughs> because this is really an impossible scenario with my paladin go like i don't see a way to get in this building right now in a way that this paladin's going to find appropriate and eventually like somebody had to go just do something before i could stop them was the only way that we even proceeded through that but yeah it is a lot of times it's a really fine line to walk because at the same time like you can't be stupid either as a player or with your character and there's certain things that like if they're patterns of behavior your paladin and your character is going to pick up on them i know one thing that did happen i remember with balfris we had a couple of evil characters like you said one of whom especially was was very prone to wandering off like just after or before battles and kind of going off on his own and finding treasure and keeping it for himself and eventually like it was a pattern behavior while i think that rarely if ever did any of us actually catch him doing it yeah it was something that that like our pretty much every single person in the group knew that the, knew what was going on because it was happening on the table on. and would make those like really ridiculous choices that everybody's like you're metagaming like but, but i understand you're metagaming because he's really not being a team player yeah. but you're metagaming but at, the, and at the same time but the, like the more moderate the more line walking way to do it is the way that it actually ended up happening was that because the players while well, again like characters never specifically caught him but the players and even to after a certain amount of time the characters knew that something was going something on something was this going on without beyond any shadow you're doubt, right, without yeah. ever having actually caught him and so i was the paladin i was keeping track of the gold and I think at one point my paladin said to that character, um, you can't have a share of the loot because you're not contributing to it. You're not like you're going off and you're making money yourself off of the group's efforts, but you're not actually contributing that loot to the, yeah. the group pot. So I can't, I can't give you your share. You don't have a share because you're not contributing. And there's this point where you reach that it's like, okay, I'm not lawful stupid. I'm able to put together the pieces in the puzzle yeah. pieces and go, okay, this is probably happening. Yeah. And you might confront somebody. But once again, if you're a player or you're the DM and you have a player who's doing that, really emphasize hey man don't meta game exactly. like make sure that there's something remember that you are playing a character you are not as a player held to this oath and you don't have to win like dnd is yes. not about winning let the other players play their characters and create story yep. and so it was at the point where this other character it was clear to pretty much everybody something fishy was going on and this character was a jerk to everybody and it was like okay if somebody's stealing from the party, which somebody clearly is, who do we all think it is? Like, yeah. and so it was like pretty obvious, and everybody knew it, regardless of the fact that I think they knew it through think, player knowledge as well. I think at one point it actually happened that that because everyone knew that this character was doing things, this character got accused by the group at whole. Uh, as a whole, for a theft, I don't think that he actually committed. I think that we as players mostly knew that a particular personality of Raxus's had made this theft, but we all blamed Zerus for it because we <laughs> knew he was doing that sort of thing. I don't remember for sure if that was how that happened, but, but that seems like that something like that happened at one point. Something. And so there's there's consequences to even to, to doing that sort of underhanded thing without metagaming. Yes. All right, the last question we have is, can you talk about blackguards? Yes. 
Yes, we can talk about blackguards. <laughs> so blackguards are, at least in 3.5, it's basically an anti-paladin. Yes. They are a prestige class in 3.5. They're a subclass of paladin is in 4E. Specifically, they say that they are honorless. They are about smiting forces, but they are about smiting the forces of good. Yes. I read a little bit about them, and some blackguards, they say that they will normally have armies of undead following them. They are... The as the chosen champions of their evil gods, like their God will raise up like undead armies to follow them into battle and such like that. And so beyond being like a prestige class, cause you could become a black guard by being like, I have always been evil and I want to yep. become this champion of the champion of my God and more my God chooses me. And so you become a black guard. However, there's another way you can become a black guard. Yes. Again, like we've said several times now tonight, a consequence of either having an alignment shift to an impossible thing to hold as a paladin or having just breaking your code so atrociously and unrepentantly that you lose your God's blessing, you can no longer progress along your paladin class path. Uh, one of the options that's specifically mentioned for a blackguard is a fallen paladin. Like you come to that situation and then your blackguard actually gets certain enhancements based on how many paladin levels you had. So for one thing, that makes it so that if you're punishing your player or your character, either one, whichever is appropriate for the situation, <laughs> for behaving in a certain way, and you remove his ability to take future levels as a paladin or make it so difficult that he doesn't want to do it anymore, this is an option that's available to him that is not a bad option. It benefits him based on how far he went as a paladin, and it's, it's worth looking into. I think that this is, first of all, here's a good answer to I want to be an evil paladin. Anti-paladin, like anti-paladin blackguard fits Absolutely. your bill. <laughs> like you, because if somebody says, I want to be an evil paladin, they're pretty much thinking about the blackguard leading undead into battle. And that's pretty much what they want. I also think this is a fantastic, like oath of vengeance yes. going wrong. Like I think of like, you've made so many references today to geekery. I'm going to make one. Like <laughs> there's like, that's what the Jedi who, decide in star wars that i can handle learning a little bit about the dark side that's yeah. basically what happens is they are fallen jedi and they become sith or dark jedi and this is like that same thing maybe a paladin takes an oath of vengeance and somewhere along the line even his gods like no it's just too much <laughs> too much man and along that way maybe he falls into this my powers have stopped working my God is no longer with me. My God has forsaken me. I'm doing my own thing. And does his own thing or turns to a, a different, God. different God or even turns to the God that is the biggest enemy of the God he used to follow. Maybe that God appears to him and is like, hey, this Recruits guy was him. a good champion of that God. I'm going to now turn him against his old God and, and be like, hey, he forsook you. I will not forsake you. You follow me now and take an oath of vengeance against your old god. And that would be the origin of a blackguard. Blackguards are cool. If you want to play an evil paladin, there you go. If you as a DM want to let your player play an evil paladin, but you don't want paladins to be evil, blackguard. Yep. Well, that's all that we have to talk about today about paladins. We hope that you've enjoyed our discussion about paladins. But before we put down our shields and sheathe our holy Avengers, we've got DM Neil and DM Main Prize with another DM Nastics. Welcome back to DM Nastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. 
I am DM Main Prize. And I am DM Neil, a.k.a. Joe Moniak. For this DMnastics, we tied it back to episode number 31, World Building, Picking Your Pantheon. Unfortunately, there was no DM Chris for this episode. Luckily, we got the next best thing with none other than hashtag Magic Mark. Hashtag Magic Mark. So, guys, if you have your phones, your tablets, you're at a computer, go ahead and send a tweet out to hashtag Magic Mark. You will love that. This one was DMnastics number 14. It was titled Gods Among Us 2 because we had already had one under that name. We kind of kept with that theme. The basic idea for this was to post your own pantheon and get a little bit of feedback on it and maybe explain you know why you made the choices you did that way you could get some feedback on your own pantheon you can inspire other people based on choices you made it ended up being really good we had a lot of guys post a lot of cool dialogue happened so that was kind of the general setup of it so for the first idea that we want to focus in on it came from friar took and it's a really interesting idea and one that i would If you guys want to see kind of a different take on the Pantheon, definitely go check that out. Rather than the typical, very tangible interactions that most D&D campaigns have with the gods, I mean, the high-level campaigns, you're guaranteed to at least talk to one, fight an evil one, something like that. Friar Took's approach is much more ambiguous, I'd say, and, and rather than the god channeling the power back into the player, the players, NPCs, there was worshippers. It's the actual faith of the cleric that garners that power for them rather than it being fed into them. And that he also has no creation myth for his world. And the gods didn't come down and shape the world, create the races or anything like that. And they're very hands-offish. So it's just an, a really interesting way to approach the Pantheon. And also he was saying that just because it's based on the, the faith, a deity could represent the sun and there could be 10 deities that represent the sun. But as long as the faith of the cleric per se is strong enough, then they will all have that great power that comes from high level clericking. Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting take, very not the typical of what you sit down with when you play D&D. So that's a really, a really cool idea. The next one we want to kind of highlight is DM Never. His is really interesting. He's got some really cool world building stuff. If you ever go read his world building post, check that out for sure. But his Pantheon is very, I wouldn't say complex, but it's very like intertwined is kind of the word. It's very, very cool. But one thing that he kind of posted about that I loved was the symbols that would appear that are kind of tied and connected to the gods of his world. And they're really interesting, the design of them. And it's also stuff that I could see carved into stone here on earth, just ancient looking symbols. Kind of a little brief example is one of the gods, I'm probably going to butcher the names of these, but Amastrados is the goddess of truth and intellect. And she is just represented by a simple circle. Then there's Madrazad, god of wisdom and skill. He's represented by a square. And then Zare, which is the god of courage and purpose. And that's represented by a triangle. They're kind of known as the Trinity. And he has this really cool design, this symbol that's kind of like an intersection of all of those types of shapes. So definitely something to look into and something to consider for your own worlds is kind of symbols and how they have meaning and can take meaning in your world. Yeah, my favorite god from Never's Pantheon and his symbol is actually uh, Jordovis, which is representing justice. Uh, And his symbol is actually the Triforce, which is amazing. But it also is a representation of equality among all mortals. 
Definitely awesome. The Triforce and Zelda are amazing things. The interesting thing to me about Friar Tooks is that he has no creation myth, which was a very important part of me creating my own pantheon. I'm a huge Tolkien fan. Probably my favorite book ever is The Silmarillion. I've probably read it at least 10 times. And so my pantheon is a lot like the pantheon that Tolkien created. So there's one ultimate being. He creates other ones. One of those kind of decides he wants to create on his own for the purpose of control and domination. And this kind of starts to unravel things, but it all kind of works out into the creation of a full eight being pantheon. Each one kind of has something they're in charge of. So if you want to check that out, you can go there. I posted it like a kind of like a family tree per se. And now DM Neil can tell you about his idea for a pantheon. Yeah, more like DM Neil's going to make you try and say some of these words that have a lot of funny stuff over the letters. What is the name of the main god in your pantheon? In my pantheon? Yeah. His name is the Smith, but if you were going to pronounce it the way it's written, that would be Smither, because nice. that symbol is actually a thorn. It's not a symbol we have in standard English. It's an Icelandic symbol. I'm also a huge Iceland Viking nut. So that's that one. That's the only one that has a weird symbol. The rest are all pretty normal. Come on, man. Yeah, it's true. I looked at the two with thorns, and then I thought it was more than there was. And then you have, no, but it definitely, you have a new and... The anytime there's dots, anytime within my world, I always use Tolkien's style of pronunciation. So if you ever want to know how to pronounce something in my world, pick up a J.R. Tolkien book, flip to the back in the appendix where there's a pronunciation guide, and you'll be able to say any word in my world. Awesome. So for my pantheons, I'm a little bit lazier. And so because of that, I typically don't actually build one until it's necessary. So rather than building out a pantheon and letting a player decide what's going to happen, I tend to only build out the things that are necessary. So a perfect example is that one of my players is playing a Banara, which is a monkey humanoid. And so I did some quick research for him and looked up and found the monkey god, Sun Wukong, and built out all the information that he needed to build his character and essentially just be a cleric of Sun Wukong, including the domains that follow under... Sun Wukong's portfolio, the alignments that are necessary, kind of how he would interact as a cleric of Sun Wukong, and just went from there. The other things I do is if there's a big bad evil and it's, it ties itself back to a god, then I have to flesh that completely out. So it's a much more fluid, like I said, lazy process. I like it. If you are interested in creating a pantheon and you want to check out some other pantheons, go ahead and join up on the forums, uh, take part in these challenges and exercises. That's something we'd really love to have you guys come in and do. To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. Try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. We are turning off the mics. We are shutting the laptop down. But before we do, Caleb, if they have more questions about paladins or maybe have a great paladin story for us, or have anything else in general to write in and tell us about, where can they reach us at? You can send those stories and in via email to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. After you email those stories to us, you can fulfill your oath of the stars by visiting our iTunes and leaving a great five-star review. We will read those five-star reviews on the air and proclaim your righteousness in following <laughs> your oath. You can also follow us on Stitcher. 
You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places has awesome dungeon mastering tips, news about our show, and we all take it very seriously, just like paladins take their oaths. We have a Patreon member shout out for this week, and the Patreon member of the week is... Jacob Thompson. Thank you, Jacob Thompson. Jacob Thompson is a gold dragon. So fear those gold dragons. They are powerful. But thank you for your support, Jacob Thompson. We really, really appreciate it. Now we have one more announcement before we go. Next week, we have a normal episode coming out. Well, not normal. We have an awesome guest joining us for next week's episode. But after that, During the month of September, we are taking the month off of airing episodes. Me and DM Chris will still be recording. In fact, we're hoping to record a lot more than we regularly do. So we just get some episodes in the can for you guys. And the episodes we have lined up are really awesome. We've got some sweet guests coming on the show. But for September, no normal episodes will be coming out. However, that doesn't mean that we are going completely off the grid. There will be at least two special bonus episodes, one available on our regular feed and one available on our Patreon feed, which will be available to any of our Patreon dragons. Speaking of Patreon dragons, we will still, of course, be doing the Google Plus Hangout for our Patreon dragons. So if you are a gold or platinum dragon, be sure to head over to the forums and check out when that Google Plus Hangout is happening. Speaking of the forums, you can go over on the forums, dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net, and join in the conversation there. Get some stuff for DMnastics in so that when we come back, Maybe your ideas can appear in our show with DM Neil and DM Main Prize. And lastly, we know that it may be hard to not hear the voice of me and DM Chris for a whole entire month, but fear not, when we come back on October 4th at midnight, we will come back with a bang with a very special episode. So next week, we're coming out with a regular episode, but for September, no normal episodes. But we'll be back as normal on October 4th. Well, that's all we got for you this week on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. See you next week. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Paladin born, paladin bred, and when I die, I'll be paladin dead. Goodbye.